Candreva mean time! That is Antonio Candreva in a nutshell. Against a big team, scoring a beauty. Outside the box, he picks out the top corner. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Serie A Spotlight. This is episode 108 and we are your hosts Matt and Jake. Here to bring you guys all the updates about match day 20 along with a few more updates that have happened over the past few weeks. Absolutely, our goal of the week was Kandreva's strike against Napoli. He had a lovely pullback and a curler into the top corner. It was very difficult to choose a goal of the week for this one. Theo Hernandez had a fantastic goal after being flicked in behind by Giroud. Yep. CDK had a rocket Vlaovic which had two incredible goals Lovrich had a great goal as well Hakan Chalanoglu Petania they all had fantastic goals it was very difficult to choose let us know in the poll down below if you're listening on Spotify who had the best goal yeah um, I thought yeah I, I agree with our decision obviously regarding Kandreva's being goal of the week however Theo's was a very very close second that flick on by Giroud and then the finish the powerful finish in off the crossbar against Roma um, was fantastic and that is a good segue into some breaking news before we kick off anything else podcast related but unless you're living under a rock you would have heard that Mourinho has been sacked by Roma um, a couple of days after the defeat to Milan but I guess it has something to do with the fact that they are in ninth place Mm. and And the Lazio loss in the Coppa maybe yeah yeah. I are we gonna discuss what we think about this now or shall we save it for later? I, gu- I guess we could put out some opinions now. I have I am of the belief that this was a rash and stupid decision, quite frankly, because Mourinho is a cup manager, right? Mm-hmm. He's always been a fantastic knockout manager. Yeah. And no matter what squad he has, he seems to be able to get them to the finish line. We saw that um after it had been years, over a decade since Roma had won a trophy mm-hmm. and he got them the Conference League. And then the next year he made the Europa League final when they should have probably won it. Yep. Um, and now he's sacked and they're still competing in the Europa League. Um, I think that it was it was very stupid because think about the ambitions that Roma have this season. If they want to do well in the league, okay, granted, they should bring in a manager who does well in the league, mm. right, instead of him. Um, now what they've done is they've basically confirmed their exit from the from the European tournament, right? Because yep. let's be real, De Rossi isn't going to get them as far as Mourinho would have. Breaking and news, De Rossi is his replacement. Yes, De Rossi is his <laughs> replacement, um, who has only managed Spal, and I believe he, he was had part them... of the technical team of uh, the Italian national team as well, and that only lasted nine games. Exactly, yes. And um, he had... I have it here actually somewhere. The, ah, 17, a 17.64% win percentage at Sparland was sacked after taking them down to 18th place in Serie B. So not a very good replacement. They're thinking very short term over here. They're probably thinking, let's get this over the line so we can rebuild next season and yeah. bring someone in. But this is a lose-lose situation. Because if Derossi does well, then suddenly they have to keep him. They, mm-hmm. <laughs> they have to renew his contract. Yeah. And that's so he's only destined to fail. Because no managers, well, not no managers, but they're of the minority. Mm-hmm. Unexper- inexperienced managers do not do well at big teams. 
And we've seen it with Milan fans, bro. Yeah. We've seen it at Milan <laughs> many Zaghi, times. Inzaghi, Seydor, The minority. Rocky. And then you have the likes of Guardiola and Zidane, granted, yeah. yes. But they're, they're in the minority, like. Absolutely. Even, you know, you see Thiago Motta, and he was with the, the PSG minors before yeah. he did anything else. Um, went to Spezia, lower league team. Now Absolutely. he's at Bologna, yeah. and he's looking at that next step. That is what... So I just, I just don't see the point in sacking Mourinho. Just let him ride out the season and then make your change at the end of the season when his contract's up. What do they get from sacking him? Now, yeah, no, that's that's um, we share the same opinion over mm-hmm. here. I do think as well it maybe has something to do with his discipline because mm-hmm. I I do believe that he's almost spent as much time off the pitch than he has on the pitch the, yeah. this season. And obviously he had a lengthy ban at the beginning. He got a red card twice in a singular week, uh, both in the Coppa and then in the league. It's absolutely crazy. Um, but like you're saying, I, I do feel like there was a bit of panic button pressing because at the end of the day, you look at Roma, yeah, they're down in ninth. They're five points behind fourth, though. Yeah. Um, they're in the Europa League. And I'm not saying that these are successes that should be celebrated, but it's uh, something they can work with, something they can work on. They could still have a, a decently successful season. Maybe they make Europa again. Maybe they make Champions League. And, you know, may- maybe, who knows, maybe they win the Europa Absolutely, League. Absolutely, that's it. Mourinho made these fans dream. Yeah. The fans loved him. They, mm. they would, you know, when, when the announcer is calling out the players' names, Mourinho's name is chanted out louder than anyone yeah. else. Oh, man, and he yeah. loved drama. Yeah. Absolutely adored drama. Did you see the video of him crying in his car with I the did, Roma with fans? The fans? And you heard Heart the fans, breaking. right? They were absolutely devastated. They're like, oh, no, for credo, sure. mister. For sure, yeah. for sure. I mean, at least, look, I don't think that Mourinho was a long-term strategy, considering that he has never been a long-term strategy mm-hmm. for any of the teams that he's represented. But he's there for three seasons and he's going to win you trophies. You know what I mean? Um, however, sacking him halfway through a season to bring in De Rossi, <laughs> it, it, it just screams bad management to me yeah but like, let's let's hold off from further discussing this yeah, because yeah. we really are taking away some of our talking points um from the milan game um we have some updates with regards to the super coppa italiana and the coppa italia so let's start off with the coppa italia um, last time we recorded it was actually when fiorentina bologna was being played i did make it uh, home in time for penalties um, Fiorentina did win on penalties. I believe it was Stefan Posh who it missed was, who and missed it was a penalty. fantastic shootout. Every penalty was perfect before yeah, that one. Yeah. And we got to see Yerimina's dance moves as well. I, very I, interesting. Yeah, I just found it odd that he, he danced when you know they, they weren't over the line yet, but sure. <laughs> so Fiorentina beat Bologna on penalties, Lazio beat Roma uh, with the score of 1-0, Atalanta beat Milan 2-1 away from home Atalanta are just on fire at the moment and Scoop Myers man he's incredible ever since bro by the way thank you for that kit yeah for those of you who listen regularly, you'd know that um, for Christmas, Matthew got me a Coop Miners kit. Coop Miners Awake, the, awake kit, the white one. The, the exact same one that he knocked Milan out wearing. By scoring his, two. Thanks to his brace, yeah. yeah. Thanks, bro. So Coop Miners beat Milan 2-1 away <laughs> from home. And Juve beat Frosinone 4-0. Shock that Frosinone conceded four goals. Um, the semi-finals are now Juve against Lazio, which is taking place on the 3rd of April, and Fiorentina against Atalanta also on the 3rd of April. Do keep in mind that the Coppa is always um, a one-legged fixture until the semi-finals. The semi-finals are then two legs, home and away, and then the final again, yeah. one leg. Very, very strange layout to a tournament, in my opinion. Yeah, they do the same thing with the... Um, I, I believe with the playoffs, they ah, do the same thing yeah. the Serie B playoffs. Exactly. 
Um, we also, this week, tomorrow, or today, if you're listening um, in Australia or wherever the fuck, or, or tomorrow morning. 18th of January, baby. 18th of January is a, is a good way to put it. Um, <laughs> there's Napoli Fiorentina in the Supercoppa Italiana semi-final along with Inter Lazio on Friday, 19th January um, as well in the semi-final. Now, you might be thinking, isn't the Supercoppa Italiana final the winners of the Coppa versus the winners of the league? Yes, but there was an opportunity for the league to make more money. 11 million euros. 11 million euros. And you, you know what? I, I think it's strange that they've that they've done this, but the league needs money. You could uh-huh, see but it. But you're taking it away from the fans, eh? And you're taking it away from the teams because, the, it, yeah. you know, it, it should be one game where you have the chance of winning a trophy for your successes in the earlier season. So it's being played in Saudi Arabia, right? Yes, in Riyadh. And apparently they're they're upset because it's not going to attract as many viewers as they hoped because there's no Juventus and there's no Milan. <laughs> they were like, what is this? <laughs> <laughs> so the way they're doing it this year is basically the the winners and the runners up of the Coppa, um, hence Inter and Fiorentina, versus the winners and runners up of the league, hence Napoli and Lazio. So it's the winners of the league facing the runners up of the Coppa, and the winners of the Coppa versus the runners up of the league. Yeah. At least like that, they're making it more likely that both winners will progress and that there isn't a repeat fixture. Yeah. So at least yeah. there's that thought <clears throat> behind it. Yeah. Um, we also have news that um, <laughs> we've got a drop, guys, a surprise podcast episode. Um, we've been teasing it for a while um, towards the end of our episodes. And stay tuned for something special. Yeah, yes, really good marketing by us. <laughs> stay tuned, guys. It's happening. We've got an interview with Joseph Manala lined up. Those yes, of you um, will remember Joseph Manala. You've been following football for a while. Um, in 2014, he was accused of being, what was it, 42 years yeah, old? Yeah, 42. Yeah, and the Italian FA had to launch an investigation on this Lazio 17-year-old prodigy essentially called, named Joseph Menala. Um, he's currently playing for Slima Wonders in Malta at the age of 27 years old and we managed to land him for an interview. It's a 30-minute interview and it'll be out on Monday. Yep, yep. Very exciting stuff. He's a, can, I, can I just say what a top quality guy he is? He's so humble. Um, very, very humble. We spent some time with him after as well, catching up. He played under David and Nicola, he bro. Spoke so highly of him. And by the way, Nicola's been appointed at Empoli. Oh! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. It really went under the radar. Oh, my God. That's, that's massive because Empoli can't seem to find the goal. And what Joseph Manala told us is that, um, he said this after the interview, Um David and Nicola is the type of manager that makes you want to die for. Yeah, well, he, which is why he, play he for the manager. He did what he did twice. He told us that Nicola makes football about life. Yeah, and he mentioned that Nicola lost a son when he was younger. Oh yeah, and that um, that he uses that experience as well to motivate the players and to transcend kind of mm-hmm. life into football. Yeah, the Salernitana, the Salernitana fans have t- till today a day named after him, San Menala Day. Hey. Um, <laughs> But anyways, we're not going to give you more information about it um, um, because, you know, you won't listen. We do have video in this. Um, We are still getting started with video, uh, something we're not used to. So it is off of my iPhone. I wouldn't say the quality Mm -hmm. is bad. I'd say it's quite... Maybe the layout's a bit bad. Yeah, maybe the... I'm sad behind you. (laughs) Look, we're we're in in the process of and, and, you know, with with the Patreon money, hopefully we could invest in some good cameras, a better setup in the studio... We're doing good, man. We're doing mm. good. This was a step in the right direction for us. It was our first interview with a footballer. 
great to have someone mm-hmm. who has experienced the highs of Italian football, both in Serie A and Serie B, and also going through that controversy. It's good to feel that emotion in an interview as well. So I do Absolutely. believe it's a good watch, guys. So do tune in to watch. Um and yeah, we'll have we'll have more in the pipeline. Malta is attracting some more big name players um, or big name coaches trying to get some experience. We've got Camronesi coaching Floriana. We've got Marchetti playing in goal for Hamroon. These yes, are sir. players with with a lot of pedigree yeah. um, in Italy. We've had Miccoli playing with Berker Cara. How I wish, bro. That would have been nuts. I love Miccoli. Yeah. Imagine um, the stories he has. Um, hey, we mentioned that... Um, it's possible for us to actually potentially buy a camera very soon because yeah. we're, we're doing quite well because of the patrons. The patrons have given us some some consistent income. Yep. Um, thank you very much, guys. Thank you, Tim. Thank you, Sluge, McNoodle, Andrew, Batman, Kyle, David, Michael, Anthony, Luca, Argento, Matthias, Matteo, Mike, Tonna, Luke, Mintoff, Jose, Lena, Andy, Alan, and Ed. Thank yep. you. Frustrating to read out all the names, maybe for some listeners, but these guys deserve all the credit they can possibly get Absolutely. because they are giving something back to the podcast. They are a piece of grow. this. They are a piece of this. They are our official partners. Uh, we speak to these guys every day. Yeah. Um, I do care about every single one of yeah, them. They're, they're really chill. They really are right. Like, and they're always at games. There's always some content coming in. Oh man, um, I believe it was Andrew Batman. Um, Andrew Batman was recently at the Sociedad Athletic Bilbao um, Derby and it's so cool just seeing these videos you know you've got um, families out with their with their kids it's like a celebration a day like that you take the day off and you go out you know what I mean yeah and he said you 13 year olds drinking whiskey in public (laughs) he said that um, it reminded him of of what football means to to society in general which is nice yes Yeah. yeah In other news, we're also um, um, announcing the winner of our giveaway tomorrow, exactly, also on the 18th of January. Um, So this is officially your last chance to enter the giveaway. We'll be doing it in the evening in order to give everyone... um, the chance to enter thank you of you who don't know it's a sweater with our logo on it yes thank you very much to embroidered malta it is an embroidered logo so it does look very very cool it is handmade um thank you again to embroidered malta for helping us out over there and giving us the opportunity to give back to the community so yep last chance to enter guys shall we Yes, let's get into the rundown of this week. So we'll start things off, obviously, with Milan 3, Roma 1. Brilliant performance by Milan. I would say horrible performance by Roma as well. They lacked everything in this game and it did inevitably um, uh, lead to the sacking of Jose Mourinho. Um, Monza 1, Inter 5. It was a show that Inter put on fantastic performances all round and... Monza defensively they left a lot to be desired um, Juve 3 Sassuolo 0 this was last night two fantastic goals by Vlaovic and Chiesa just putting that cherry on top uh, Fiorentina 2 Udinese 2 Fiorentina fought back twice in order to draw this game in their own stadium Udinese looking more powerful as the season progresses mm-hmm. very different to last season Lazio 1, Lecce 0. It was a great finish by Felipe Anderson to give them that slender 1-0 lead. Atalanta 5, Frosinone 0. We saw a brilliant CDK goal. Um, we saw Edison get on the score sheet. We saw Cope Miners get on the score sheet. We saw Home getting his first goal for Atalanta. And Frosinone just absolutely absolutely 
abysmal defending mm-hmm. and just abysmal all round, to be honest, man. Napoli 2, Salernitana 1. Uh, this is somewhat of a southern derby between these two sides, and it was Rahmani who got the winning goal for Napoli. Maybe a little foul that went under the radar mm-hmm. over there. We're going to address the Inter one a couple of weeks ago. Let's address this absolutely, one as well. Absolutely, absolutely. Inzaghi wasn't very happy. No, no. Then again, in, 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 the Inzaghis have got quite a temper on them. <laughs> um, there was Cagliari 2, Bologna 1. It was another occasion where Bologna dropped points. Uh, another occasion where Cagliari gained points. Um, brilliant goal by Petania, and it was uh, an own goal by Calafiori that took Cagliari over the line. Verona 2, Empoli 1. It was Juric and Ingonge who got the winning goals for them. Ingonge, breaking news, 19 million Napoli. Apparently so, that's mental. Yep, yep, I just heard today, man. And Genoa 1-0, Torino 0, and it was a fantastic performance by Vanya Milinkovic-Savic and also one of my favourite defenders in the league. Alessandro Buongiorno. Buongiorno. But I think we should start, bro, with Milan 3, Roma 1. Makes sense, makes sense. The reverse fixture, of course, was a 2-1 victory for Milan. Those of you who remember it will remember Giroud scoring a penalty, Leao scoring, and then Spinazzoli. Spinazzoli, madonna. I've done that before as well. Spinazzola scoring late on. Um, Tomori got a red card, actually. Oh, yeah. Um, this time, uh, Milan were home, of course, and Zlatan and Habib were at the game. Habib yes. Nor- Normagomedov. How do you Nor- pronounce? <laughs> <laughs> Habib Normagomedov. That's the one. He's a fantastic. Um, what what would you call him? An MMA An fighter. MMA fighter yeah. uh, Twenty nine and oh, his style is wrestling. He beat up Connor, Dustin, Gaethje, everyone. If he takes you to the ground. It's over. It's done. It's, it's done. done. His technique. Done. This guy grew up in Dagestan wrestling bears. Yeah. And everyone he fights are like, it's not even his strength, it's his technique. So there yes. you go, small kings. Roma started out this game with a surprise change in goal as Zvelar entered the fray. It was a 3-5-2 formation with Lorente Mancini and Christensen at the back with Spinazzola out on the left, Celica out on the right, Bove, Paredes and Cristante in the middle with Lukaku and Del Sharawi starting up front as Dybala was still unavailable. Also, please note, Mourinho was also unavailable for this, so he got sacked without even being at the game that he lost the last game. Yeah. Yeah. Manian was in goal for Milan as they deployed their 4-3-3 formation slash 4-2-3-1, debatable. And it kind of changes during the game as well. We also yeah. see kind of a three at the back thing going on sometimes at points in the game. I like it. I like it too. I like it too. Calabria was out on the right. Theo Hernandez was out on the left with Kier and Gabia as the centre-back partnership. Of course, Gabia being recalled from his loan at Villarreal because mm-hmm. of the crisis. Um, Loftus, Cheek, Udli and Reinders were in the middle with Pulisic out on the right. Leao on the left and Giroud up front. Milan weathered Roma's initial storm. They displayed good defensive work. Um, Pioli had Reinders marking Cristante, Loftus Cheek disrupting Paredes, and Pulisic shadowing Bove. Um, they seized the lead, Milan, with a beautiful move in the 11th minute, which saw Adli fake a shot. That's another goal. Oh my god, how, how did it did we win, man? Adli, no, don't worry, I'll put, him, I'll put him in the pot. Don't worry, it's Yassin, baby! Yassin, what a goal, what a goal, what a goal. He fake shot, Christensen went flying, and then he just slotted it home past Svilar beautifully. And then you could see in the celebration, the passion Ad- in his face. Adli è un tifoso rossonero. See, man. Um, <laughs> you can tell, um, and even apparently he's been getting offers. He's been getting offers. He was linked to Salernitana at one point. These would be good moves for his career, but he doesn't want to hear any of that. I love him so much. He wants to become a regular player for Milan and 
hard work pays off because he's doing brilliantly right now. All that's what all that was missing, to be honest, was his defensive work, and he's totally improved it. And especially playing in a three-man midfield, he's a bit more protected. Yeah, and in a game like this, um, he suits it so much because, again, Roma are going to let you have the ball and they're going to let you be creative. And when he has time, space and the ball at his feet, there are few players in Milan's team that can move the ball around the way he does. And keep in mind, this is a natural number 10. So when he found himself in a situation like that, just outside the area, the feint and the finish is something that can come naturally to him. Absolutely, yes. He's a little bit more of a traditional kind of fantasista, right? Yeah. The way, the way he plays. Um, there's something so old school about him. We said in the last episode, he's got a real 90s feel to him. Yeah, totally. Yeah. In the second half, um, Roma reshuffled their cards. Um, they brought on Pellegrini to try to inject some life into the game. But it was in the 56th minute that um, a cross came into the box, into Roma's area. Kier headed it across goal to Olivier Giroud, who headed into the back of the net and suddenly Milan are 2-0 up. However, Calabria in the 68th minute missed a very good opportunity to make it 3. And then on the attack, after he missed that opportunity, he gave away a penalty. A very clumsy challenge. Very stupid, naive Mm. challenge, right? Um, Rash. Very rash, rash, exactly. Mm. And he knew it. You know, you could see it. um, Before that. Before that. He has a top game. He was brilliant. Apart from that, of course. Yeah. Paredes um, scored the penalty. Manian held the ball. He had a bit of a moment. Mm. Dribbled it a bit like, like a basketball dribble kind of thing. But then, of course, the confirmation of the victory came in the 84th minute when Giroud just flicked the ball onto Theo Hernandez beautifully. What a flick on by Giroud. Theo Hernandez, of course, did what he does best. He smashed the ball as hard as he possibly could off the crossbar and into the net. And then you can see Cardinale and Ibrahimovic in the stands exchanging a look like, holy shit, did you see that? Yeah, the French trio. For me, the three musketeers, bro. The French connection. Yeah. What what fantastic players, honestly. And look, those of you who listen regularly again will know that there was a point in time where I was really slandering Giroud, saying that Milan can't be focusing and relying on a 38 year old striker for the whole season. Um, I don't think that this game proved my point wrong. Mm. You can deploy Giroud situationally. Mm-hmm. In a game where you're going to dominate possession and the opposition team is going to let you have the ball, mm-hmm. you afford to play Giroud. Yeah. Against a team like Inter or a European fixture, for example, or maybe Napoli of last season, where you have a team that's dominating the ball and pushing you and forcing you into your own box and you need to rely somewhat on the counter, mm-hmm. Giroud limits you. Um, so it's not exactly an anti-Giroud agenda. I love Giroud. I have a Giroud kit. He's one of the... Yeah. One of my favorite players of Milan all the time. He, I have great memories of him in the Scudetto season, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I was calling for him and screaming for him for years before Milan actually signed him because Milan mm-hmm. were always linked to him. Mm-hmm. However, yes, it, it would be nice to have a more mobile option for, for those big games. And it's a good thing Jovic has found some form because it has given Milan that, that outlet. Uh-huh. I, I continue to say even... I wouldn't say that you ever slandered Giroud, by the way. I think you yeah. you made the very valid point of... Milan, just like they used to rely on Zlatan when he was 39, are now relying on Giroud when he's 38 and Milan are playing two to three matches a week, which doesn't make sense, especially at that age if you get an injury, then then that could be detrimental for your career. I think stylistically, experience-wise, and everything, 
Giroud is the perfect striker for the Milan system. Mm-hmm. However, he shouldn't be relied on because of his age. I do like that Jovic brings a very similar profile when it comes to skill control and hold-up play mm-hmm. and creativity. Um, however, he doesn't have that physical presence in the box that Giroud has. I think profile-wise, Giroud is absolutely perfect for perfect, Milan. And yeah. at 38, bro, he is still Excellent. He's in top condition. Yes. He has hardly suffered any injuries this season. Touch wood. Stop it, man. Yeah. Um, and yes, man, if, if it weren't for that limitation of him not being able to get those loose balls simply because, of course, he's, he's, he's mm-hmm. quite leggy at his age. Um, but yes, you can't you can't um, say anything about his, his work rate and his professionalism because he's in top condition, works hard, leaves everything on the pitch, presses until he's taken off. Sometimes you see this 80-something minute he would have been playing all game and he's still pressing up there. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's fantastic to see. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, so this game, so... Pioli, who is undefeated against Mourinho, he's the only manager to have played Mourinho six times and remain undefeated, right? Um, yeah, and everyone was saying that Pioli might be at risk of getting sacked. Yeah. And all of a sudden, it was he who got Mourinho sacked. Yeah. <laughs> so there are seizing charge now. And those day one listeners, once again, I'm going to keep mentioning this, this episode's for you, our day one. Yeah. They'll remember that we had um, a very good friend of ours, Mitul. Remember yes, absolutely. He, um, he used course. to write a few articles um, for us back in the day. They're still on our website if you want to go to spotlight.com. He sent us a pros and cons list that he had made about De Rossi from his time at um, Spal, which I, mm-hmm. I would like to read out right now. So he has pros. Understands the club from inside and outside as he was born and bred in Rome. Mm-hmm. Very good. Roma Academy product went on to become the second biggest footballing legend of Roma, mm-hmm. <laughs> of the mm-hmm. Totti, of course. Absolutely. Regarded as one of the finest CDMs of his generation with great on-pitch football knowledge. Mm-hmm. Very true, yes. He was Italy's assistant coach under Mancini when Italy lifted the Euro trophy in 2021. The cons. So far, he has only managed one team as a senior coach. It was Spal. They finished 18th and they had a win percentage of 17.64. Um, and although he has the guidance of big coaches as he's worked under them, um, taking Roma's job will still be a very big step for him as he is an experienced, no proper CV, and he got the UEFA license in only 2020. Madonna. So, uh-huh, yes, we've spoken about this already a little bit, bro, but do, do you think De Rossi will, will make it to the end of the season? <laughs> um, I don't know. I, I don't know if this is... Um, is this signing Roma accepting their fate for the season because that that's what it seems like to me it doesn't seem like the move of an ambitious team what can De Rossi give you that Mourinho couldn't uh, what the only thing I can think of is an initial burst because you know a new coach comes in everyone wants to impress him anyone will do that now literally do they want do the owners want a puppet do they want a leader who has been there and just is simply there out of motivation? Because that doesn't work. You can't just have a motivator mm-hmm. in, in Italy. No, you need a tactician. You need a genius. You need someone who, all right, he knows the team, but does he know the team? Mm-hmm. Does he know how this starting eleven should operate? Does he know how to get the best out of these players? Plus... When we talk about club legends taking over, I always find that 
it's a bit risky from an ego perspective. Now you'll tell me that Rossi loves the club, same way Totti loves the club, same way Zlatan loved Milan, for example. Okay. All valid. However, could there be a world where his ego would want to stop Pellegrini from matching the the, the amount of accolades ah. <laughs> that De Rossi has um, achieved? I don't... In this case... Okay, I'm sure that's a thing, first of all. Because, yes, um, football players are there because they're It's a silly example right? because yeah. Pellegrini is obviously... He, he's nowhere near yet. He's still youngish. You know what I mean? Uh, no, um, I think De Rossi's always been the, the type of manager... To, or the type of player, sorry, rather, to put the team first. The cl- classic mm. example was during the Euros with Ventura when mm. they failed to qualify for the World Cup and Ventura had told him to warm up and he was like, what the fuck are you telling me to warm up for? You should tell him to warm up and he points at Insignia. He's like, we ah. need a goal. I'm not going to give you a goal right now. You know, I could have got another cap for the Italian national team but in reality, he wanted to progress mm. to the next level. I don't think that his ego would per se be an issue. I, I, I think the, the main issue simply is that he is underqualified and it's as simple as that. You would have been better off bringing in fucking... What the hell? Ballardini. You yeah. know, you would have been better off bringing in Iacchini. These guys, you know, at least they've managed yeah. teams for, for years. You know, it's been mm. 20 years of management for those guys. Mm. Like, I, I just don't understand it. I, I, think I that's can't what, understand it at all. That's what it comes down to. Because if at least bring in someone with, with a unique skill set or, or someone that has something that Mourinho was missing. Exactly, yes. Bringing someone who's domestically consistent, something like that. And so it's not like there aren't options. Now, I know Rome are constantly <laughs> living on a tight ass budget and this was a quick solution, but why did you need a quick solution? Like, you know, you could have felt out the, the rest of the season under Mourinho. You're probably still paying his salary until the yeah. end of the season, so haha. I just, I just don't get it. It's tough to put my finger out. I really think that Roma are accepting their fate over here. And I, I'm i unsure whether they'll get Europe or not. I'm, I'm, I'm confused, though, by this accepting their fate. We need to see. We need Look, to they're, see. They're five points off a of fourth spot right now. Five mm. points off a of fourth no, they're spot. Not, they're, they're in a European competition, you know. The... I don't get it. Maybe maybe the style didn't quite... Maybe they were tired of the style of football he was playing. But now, not not last summer, they, they, they knew two seasons of Mourinho before. What, why halfway through the season, really? It shocked me completely because the Friedkins have always, always, always defended Mourinho. Till always, the day, day before. Yes, literally. And and it's even weirder when you notice the fact that Pinto is no longer Roma's sporting director and they actually don't have a sporting director What's the plan here, Chief? What's going on? I, I would honestly... I, I would honestly hate to be a Roma fan right now. Yeah. Shout out to all you Roma fans. I, I hope it turns out all right. I do really like the club. I'm really fond of them. Um, I just hope that this is like a... Like a... Like a motta. 
coming through. Yeah. You know, I hope I mean? he does well. Honestly, I hope he does well because De Rossi, as a as a footballer, one of my favorite uh, defensive midfielders in Italian football history. Honestly, he's, he's fantastic. He was a true gladiator on the pitch. Mm. There were many like him. Yeah. Um, this game also featured, by the way, a, a new haircut for Theo Hernandez. Absolutely. What a he, cutie patootie, he's man. He's got a perm. And I think the person who loved it the most was Giroud. Yeah, yeah. He's <laughs> constantly playing with it. Yeah. Constantly. Yeah. <laughs> Quite funny. Um, Giroud acts up with his teammates. Yeah, I he love does. It. Remember the whole Mbappe yeah, thing in the world? Man. There was... Um, I thought Gabia had a fantastic performance. I, I'm so impressed by Gabia. Um, I've I've never understood the criticism that Gabia got. Um, he's not a freak of nature like Tomori is when you're when you're physically just so mm. much when you're physically superior to your opponent. Mm-hmm. Gabia is like a real person, you know. <laughs> but um, uh-huh. but he played well, man. He played super. Yeah, and he, he plays like a veteran player. It, it was it was a good. Uh, let's call it a debut because. Mm. Returning to the club naturally, he he played it safe a lot. Mm-hmm. You, you know he had a smart performance. Um, he what impressed me was his decision making when it came to the press. So when there was a player ahead of him, in, in front of him, um, who's receiving the ball, he knew when to hold back and he knew when to go for the interception or go and barge the player. He knew when to commit a foul. This this is because obviously it's the experience he has within the team. He's played alongside Kier before. He's played alongside Theo before. And to me, as much as I found it like bringing back Gabia was a bit of a, a panic button. In hindsight, it was also a smart decision it's because smart. you're bringing in someone who is capped for the team a number Absolutely. of times, and you own him. You don't yeah. have to actually spend. It was a good decision, clearly. And um, yeah, now is the time for him to really make a name for himself. So. Because, you know, when everyone's fit, in reality, he's going to be fifth fiddle again. So, yeah. so now is the time for him to really get his name out there. Yeah. One thing I forgot to mention about Giroud and how impressive he is that he's hit double figures this season for three seasons in a row. Exactly. The last person to do that was Pato. Pato. To hit double figures in Another three seasons. Another monster. Yeah. Uh-huh. Me, Milan haven't had a, a consistent striker in a, in a while. And I'm, I'm glad Giroud is that guy. Right. Um, you know what you didn't mention? Musa. Yep. <laughs> That's my next point. Musa came on, and in the 89th minute, he dribbled everyone and hit the post. Everyone he dribbled. Guys, Jake's not even exaggerating. I'm not even exaggerating. That would have actually been our goal of the week had it gone in. Honestly, probably, probably. honestly, it would have been. It was absolutely crazy. And also, good. In-game management by Pioli yes. in this game. I have to say, because that, that's the, the main criticism that, that I've had in the past of, of Pioli and that I typically still have, but with this injection of youth that Milan have, it has increased the the amount of weapons that he has, the amount of options that he has, and I love that he trusts them. Yes, um, sometimes a little bit too much. Like, for example, Milan have crashed out of the Coppa Italia now, right? Um, personally, I don't think there was a reason to start Jimenez as from the first minute in a fucking knockout game against Atalanta. Yeah. In a tournament where you have you have Inter out and you have Napoli out, you know you got Bologna, Fiorentina, Juventus. Like it's. Mm. I, I it was a, it, it was, was a missed opportunity. Uh, um, so that was a little bit questionable in my opinion. But yes, the, otherwise he's he's balanced them. Pretty well, other than that, yes. Yeah, I, I do think that the three five two. Now, I know previously after watching him in this for the first time, I said, wow, a three five two with with 
um, or a 3-4-3 rather with Theo left center back and Jimenez left wing back would be lit but of course we're talking long term well, yeah long long term in the in the future in a couple of seasons but yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think we're going to move on to the next one. Uh, Milan are currently in third with 42 points as they have gained some consistency in the league. While Roma find themselves in ninth with 29 points and a noob manager. Yes, sir. Um, next up is Monza 1, Inter 5. Very dominant display over here by Inter. As obviously the scoreline suggests, Inter were coming off a 2-1 victory against Hellas Verona, whilst Monza were coming off a 3-2 away win against Frosinone. After failing to win in their two matches against Monza last season, where they drew one and lost one, Inter won the reverse fixture against Monza this season with a score of 2-0 with a brace from Lautaro Martinez um, on the opening day of the Serie A season, making it 2 out of 2 this season for the Nerazzurri. Inter came into this match as winter champions, but struggled in recent games with controversial goals for the draw in Genoa and win over Hellas Verona. DeMarco returned to the starting lineup with Juan Cuadrado injured, whilst the host had uh, Michele Di Gregori out injured, Caprari, Papu Gomez and Jose Machin out of action. Daniel Maldini was on the bench for Monza in this game, which is super cool. Um, Monza lined up in a 3-4-1 formation with Sorrentino in goal and the backline of Caldirola, Gagliardini. Question mark, question mark, and D'Ambrosio. Yeah. Um, Pereira as the left back, Churia as the right wing back, with Pessina and Bondo in the double pivot. Carboni and Colpani playing behind Danny Mota. For Inter, it was the classic 3 5 2 with Summer, su- summer with summer in goal and the backline of Pavard, De Vrij, and Bastoni. Darmian out on the right, DeMarco out on the left, and a midfield three of Barella, Chalanoglu, and Mikitarian with the formidable Lautaro Martinez and Turam up front together. Now I'll just breeze through the happenings of this game because we'll be here all night. Uh, Chalanoglu converted his seventh penalty of the season in the 11th minute where he sent Sorrentino the wrong way uh, after a handball in the area by former Inter player Gagliardini, now turned centre-back for some reason. Crisis, Um, crisis. Not really. Itso's on the bench. Ah, but Itso's kind of fallen out of favour. I believe he was injured and he's not really been utilised. It's just weird that they're playing D'Ambrosio and Gagliardini. Two non-centre-backs in a three-at-the-back formation. Which... Yeah, D'Ambrosius played at a three-at-the-back at, at Inter, for uh-huh. example. Not even too bothered about that. But Gagliardini is just like not, not it one, yeah. at centre-back. Um, Lautaro slid into finish into an empty net in the 14th minute after a low cross by DeMarco. De Vrij did very well to initially carry the ball forward over here. Not something we see often. In the 29th minute, Pessina's header was chalked off after a VAR check deemed him offside. It was marginal. Uh, in the 58th minute, Palladino was sent off for dissent, telling the referee something about his mother. Um, two minutes later, Chalanoglu got his second of the night. Mkhitaryan crossed the ball to Thuram, who, instead of shooting, backheeled the ball to Hakan, who finished with power. It was great vision by Thuram. And I believe Mkhitaryan was pointing to Chalanoglu when he played the ball to Thuram, like play him the back heel. That is great vision as well by Mkhitaryan. That's what experience gets you. In the 68th minute, Monza pulled one back through a penalty by Pessina, where he sent Sommer the wrong way. He once again went for that Jorginho-style penalty, which he totally screwed up against Napoli. So it does show that the kid has got some cajones. In the 83rd minute, it was another penalty. Um, Again for Inter, Lautaro smashed the ball. In from the penalty spot after Akpa Akpro clumsily brought down Frattesi moments after coming on for Pessina. 
In the 87th minute, Turam made sure to send Calderola back to Werder Bremen's reserve team with a delicious feint before slotting cleanly into the near corner. So Monza won Inter 5. It was Monza's bigger, biggest ever home loss in Serie A. Mm-hmm. Yes, um, to be fair, they've only been in Serie A for this is their second season, isn't it? So, so it's just fun with these stats. You know, Carlos yeah. Augusto, Monza's all-time top scorer. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Monza have had a tough run, you know. Yeah. So they've had, okay, so Juve, Genoa, Milan, Fiorentina, Napoli, Frosinone, and now Inter. Like, no Tough wonder, like, no wonder Palladino's not sacked because yeah. of the negative run of form. Absolutely, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, honestly, um, Inter blew them away. Last week, we highlighted the importance of Di Marco. He had just mm. come back from injury, but he wasn't quite himself. This game, he was himself again, and they just ran rampant. On and the, they've got their flow back. Absolutely, man. He he connects that back line to the to the strikers so well. And just seeing Thuram and Martinez just having a field day like that. Even Hakan man, had a very good game. Yeah, excellent yeah. game. Um, I want to talk a bit about Gagliardini being played as a centre-back. You said there's a crisis, but as far as I'm concerned, the only injuries they've got is to their goalkeeper, to Caprari, to Gomez and to Machin. Uh-huh. So if, if they have got a crisis, it's their fault. It's a lack of personnel, <laughs> yes. Um, Possibly a lack of planning. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm looking at their bench right now. They don't have... There's Pablo Mari, who should be maybe featuring. Mari, Itzo. You know, Mari had a good season last year. Mm-hmm. Um, Itzo, exactly, had a fantastic season last year, Itzo. He, he, yeah. was, he was amazing at the back, um, displaying great technique as well, um, pretty much being flawless every single game, you know, holding the ball, um, building, play with... With Churia, and I think even earlier this season, no, he was playing quite well as well. It's so it's, it's yeah, strange yeah. how he's fallen out of yeah. favor all of a sudden to a to a central midfielder. Uh huh. And you know, Gagliardini, rather than starting in midfield, um, he was replaced. His, his midfield role was replaced by Warren Bondo, who, you know, we we've only seen him feature five times. Um, he played three hundred and eighteen minutes. This season, so it just doesn't seem like a very wise setup when you're facing a team like Inter. Not at all, especially when you have veteran centre backs on the bench. Bondo's only 20 years old, and you've got Gagliardini, an ex-Inter player. You could just pop him in the middle and hope that he, um, you know, you can just put Gagliardini is a bit of a. He's an aggressive player. He's yeah. a he's a talker. You know, he'll kick you. He'll talk to you. You know, he's a dirty player. Mm-hmm. Put him on Chalanoglu, man, yeah. in the midfield. You know? Yeah. Agreed. Try to disrupt them like that. I don't know why he was centre-back. It doesn't make any sense. Agreed. And, and in fact, I mean, you see them conceding five goals. I mean, okay, Inter are Inter and Inter are capable of scoring. I mean, they scored five goals against Milan this season. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, Inter, this is what Inter do. However, Monza did look out of place when they were defending. They often looked um, out of position. They often didn't maintain that back line. And they, there were holes that Inter were directly mm. attacking. I mean, case in point is Lautaro's goal where he slid in. How easy was it for Lautaro to slot in between two of those centre-backs? Right. One of them commits to go on to Di Marco and a hole is created. You know what That's I mean? what you get when you try to play your own brand of football, right? Monza here didn't settle. They didn't just park two banks of fucking four and, you know, two pressing strikers. They mm-hmm. they actually tried to play their game and they got demolished. That's the, the downside of it. You look at the way Salah and Etana have been playing, for example. They're not getting smashed. Mm. They're... they're they're putting out a defensive system every time with the with their striker's main purpose being to disrupt passing lanes, to cut yeah. out passing lanes in semi. So maybe Monza could have 
It would have been wise probably for them to go for something like this for this game. I mean, at halftime, they kind of realized, Paladino kind of realized, because at halftime he changed it to a 4-2-3-1 formation. <laughs> and that, mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure Galliardini was not a centre-back um, anymore after the first half. But enough about Monza, because I think it's really time to, to highlight Inter. Um, Lautaro Martinez, um, remarkable form that he's on right now. He is miles ahead of everyone in the top scorer charts. I'm not even sure who's second. I think Giroud Giroud might be second second, with 10. Absolutely. And Lautaro has got 18 goals in 18 Serie A appearances. Which is... That's crazy. He's doing really well, man. Um, Which is mental. They're not missing Lukaku at all. No. Luka. No, I... I, (laughs) I almost forgot that Lukaku was at Inter last year. No matter who is next to Lautaro, it's almost like Lautaro's the king. The last time Lautaro wasn't the king for Inter up front is um, when they had Contes Lukaku. Ah, Contes yes, Lukaku yes, yes, yes. Was, was, a, was an absolute monster. He was the main man. Yeah. But now it seems that Lautaro has has taken that role and Thuram has become the Lautaro of that season. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, Chalanoglu scored a brace in this game. Um, he scored seven out of seven penalties, which he had this season. Inter have had like a hundred. Um, <laughs> but he got a, a yellow card and he's missing the Fiorentina game away from home. Huh. Which, knowing Inzaghi, who would not be very happy about that. And if you look at Inter's perform, Inter's sorry, um, history fixtures huh. coming up, it is quite a crazy run and they have so their next game is so before Fiorentina away they're playing Lazio in the semi-finals of the Coppa Italiana and then they play Fiorentina away from home in the league and then they play Juve at home in the Derby d'Italia and then Roma away and keep in mind this is the Rossi's Roma which mm-hmm. they play so formidable um, and then they play Salernitana who Let's let's be real. They're a tough gig. Tough fucking gig. Yep. Very tough gig. And then after that, they've got Atletico Madrid. And then, okay, Lecce. But then they face Atalanta. Uh-huh. Um, yes. So yeah. they, they, they do have a tough run in. And then after that, you know, they've got Bologna, Atletico, Napoli. It's... it's, it's they, if there is a time, because keep in mind... The fixtures that I just mentioned, this is when the Champions League is going to be on as well. Mm-hmm. Um, if there's a time where Inter are going to drop points, this period is the one. Over the next yes, two months, yes. if Juve want to win the league, they need to bank on Inter's fatigue in these big games, playing Atletico and then playing God knows who in the quarterfinals if they make it through. And then they've got the Supercoppa Italiana. And then they've got... Um, the co- no, they're out of the Coppa. They're out of the Coppa. They're out of the Coppa. But still, um, a tight fixture list. Yes, and um, you've actually have a chance to go ahead of them because, of course, because of the Super Coppa Italiana, mm. a few fixtures have been postponed from the coming match day. I hate that. By For way. Fanta especially, man. For Fanta culture, it's the worst. By the way, if you do six political, you're a you fucking get, nightmare. Get, you're, you're crazy. Stop, like. stop listening yeah, if you do stop. If you do that, six get the fuck off. No, we're anti that. <laughs> we, we wait, all right? We wait, bro. We wait two months for fucking Petania to play. Right? Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> then January comes. And they leave. They leave. <laughs> they're never going to play. Like, like, and then fuck. your sub comes up. You're a man, yeah. you're a man, a man down. But yeah, um, this is this is going to be very telling. As I said, um, Juve have the opportunity to go ahead of Inter, mm-hmm. 
And if you remember to Milan's Scudetto winning season, Inter had that game in hand for so long until it was played against Bologna and they fucking lost it. Yeah, man. Crazy. Crazy. So let's see. There's probably. I screamed more during that game than I did in the Sassuolo game. I swear on my life. Um, Radu. Radu. What a hero. We should get him on the pod. We should get Radu on the pod. Slip him, (laughs) slip him 50 euro and a cheeky wink. Thanks, brother. Um, Inter are apparently inching closer to sealing Meditaremi. Ah, for for the summer. Though. For the summer. Yes. Look, look, look me in the eyes right I'm now. I'm looking. Look me in the eyes. Turam and Taremi can fuck off. <laughs> can fuck off. The lack of respect they have towards me, lad. This is becoming a proper, proper, proper rivalry yeah. right now. Yeah. Like we're talking over here. So many side stories, man. Fratesi chose Inter over Milan as well. Exactly. Have Inter Shalanoglu got... In, Inter have... Left Milan for Inter. Do Inter have more pull power than Milan? Of course, they yes. do at the moment. Yes, yes absolutely. Um, there's, there's the fact that they made it to a Champions League final. They're the biggest Italian name at the moment in world yeah. football. At yeah. the moment, simply because of their Champions League run and the fact that they, they've been challenging for the Scudetto for a while now and they're ahead in their project. However, however, if you do look a bit more deeply into the situation, you'll know that um, Milan actually have a sturdier project than Inter. I mean, yes, because Milan aren't 900 zillion in debt. (laughs) Inter have a lot of debt. They're struggling to stay afloat. What they do have is a fantastic sporting director and um, some a great team with good pull power at the moment. So they're managing to stay afloat and they're managing to actually succeed. So let's see what happens to them in the long run. I'm not an expert on finance, never claim to be. So um, we'll see what happens. Eventually, maybe a news article will come down. Inter, close to liquidation. (laughs) (laughs) We'll see. Another piece of news regarding Inter in the the transfer market. You know, we just spoke about how they're in debt, but apparently they're interested in everyone. Um, (laughs) They have joined Roma and Juve in the race for Genoa star Albert Goodmanson. However... I did hear today that Juve are closing in. Um, on Goodmanson? On Goodmanson. I heard that they've closed in, well, they've agreed personal terms with Philip Anderson to join them on a free Juve. Yeah. These are all, of course, um, just rumours for now. Philip Anderson. Philip Anderson, weird. Very um, interesting. Yeah. They don't even play with a right winger. I know. It's it's a weird one. Um, but maybe they're they're looking at the post-Allegri era. Uh-huh. But yes, a Goodmanson would be would be unreal in that midfield three for for Inter. Or even if you pop him up front alongside Lautaro Martinez, he could be incredible, man. Mm. Goodmanson's a serious player. Huh? No, Goodmanson, Goodmanson we're needs talking to be... But I wouldn't the say... Out a good team, like, yeah. Goodmanson, from a technical standpoint, he can be very similar to Mkhitaryan uh-huh. in, that, in that sense. But... I'd love him to be closer to goal, bro. I, I would prefer if, let's say, at Roma, they play a 3-4-1-2 with, let's say, um, Dybala and Lautaro up front, Goodmanson just Dybala behind Dybala and Lukaku. Them. What did I say? Lautaro. Oh, Ryan, sorry. Um, Lukaku and Dybala up front and Goodmanson just behind them. Yeah. Like I, I do believe he's more of a number 10 than a, than a box-to-box. He is the type of player who you don't really give him strict instructions. He has a free role. Exactly. He's that good. He's capable of 
deleting players, you know? Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Absolutely deleting them, yeah. Yeah. But that's enough for this match. I believe we can move on. Inter is still first two points ahead of Juve. Like Jake said, because of some suspended games due to the Supercoppa Italiana being played in Riyadh, Juve might actually take top spot if they win their next fixture, naturally. Um, whilst Monza find themselves in 11th place on 25 points. A colleague of mine who's a Juve fan believes that if they leapfrog um, Inter, they'll win the league. I was. It'll become a psychological game, and he believes that you have the have, have an advantage there. I was seriously thinking in the car today while I was in traffic, and I'm like, "Am I so sure that Inter are gonna win the league?" I'm like, "No, bro. no, no, I'm no, not. No. I'm not so sure Inter are gonna win the league." They really messed up when they prioritized their domestic fixture instead of sealing that first spot in their group, man, because their running has is so difficult. Now. Yeah, yeah. But it it's more just a case of the fact that Juve aren't competing in many other competitions. Like, okay, they've got the Coppa Italia and the league. I mean, that's it. Inter, Inter have got the whole last Champions League to play if they advance against Atletico, which is, I mean, they, they might have a few players drop dead against Atletico. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah it, it, can, it can totally happen. We'll yeah. see. Um, Juve got revenge on Sassuolo, brother, on the other side. Well, on the other side, one one step down the table. Yeah, um, speaking of Juve. Yes, and that's the segue. Not very smooth from my end. <laughs> yes, Juve beat Sassuolo 3-0. The previous encounter was a 4-2 victory for Sassuolo. If you remember that game, La- Lauriente scored, Berardi scored, Chiesa, mm-hmm. Pinamonti, and then there were own goals by Vignan Gatti as well. Mm-hmm. Back the Gatti when, one was, was memorable. Back when Lauriente was possessed. Yeah, back when he was... Um, good. <laughs> on good form, yes. Yeah. Um, Juve lined up with Chesney in goal It was a 3-5-2 formation Danilo, Bremer and Drugani at the back With Cambiauza out on the right Kostic on the left Miretti, Locatelli and Rabiot on the middle With Yildiz and Vlaovic up front For Sassuolo it was a 4-2-3-1 formation With Consigli in goal Viti and Pedersen as the fullbacks With Ferrari and Derlich at the back Boloca and Henrique were the midfield double pivot With Lauriente out on the left Berardi out on the right Thordsvet playing behind Pinamonti up front it was a spectacular display, to be honest, by Juve. Mm-hmm. They were very convincing. Um, they managed to beat a team that had beaten them three times in, the, in their last five games. Fuck. Yeah. The man of the hour, of course, was none other than Dusan Vlaovic, who showcased his incredible prowess and his magnificent left foot. Mm-hmm. Um, that first goal actually kind of was reminiscent of, of Berardi, funnily yeah. enough. Yeah. Um, that beautiful curler. Mm-hmm. And that actually came in the 15th minute. In the 37th minute, he had a free kick, where he, which he placed in the other corner. Delicious. <laughs> and then in the 89th minute, um, as the game progressed, Chiesa eventually got a goal that would seal the deal for Juventus. Um, Sassuolo attempted to stay in the game. They relied on Berardi and uh, Berardi's left foot and Lauriante's right foot, exactly. funnily enough. Exactly. But they encountered a very good version of Chesney who made very good saves and kept them out of the game. Yeah, I, I believe it was um, the early stages of the second half where Sassuolo kind of picked it up a little uh-huh, bit. They tried. But otherwise, Juve... Firstly, it was not that that 1-0 Allegri style, but they actually, you know, okay, they had a 2-0 lead by halftime, and then sure, they let Sassuolo have the ball a little bit, but then caught them on the counter, and Chiesa got on the score sheet. Exactly. You know, so 
brilliant display by Juve, honestly. Yeah, and players like Volpato and Castilla aren't quite going to make the difference. They're not quite the injection of, of quality that you'd want in the second half. Of course, no. nothing against Volpato, still a very young player. Castilla, on the other hand, maybe not known for his um, goal-scoring prowess yeah. throughout yeah. his career. Um, Yildiz, bro, is a talking point, and he will always be a talking point as long as he's playing because he's so Fucking exciting, dude. Yeah, 18 is ridiculous. 18 years old. He's become pivotal for the national team and he's walked into this Juve starting 11 right now. And in the first 17 minutes, he already did not make the three players. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he's so talented. He plays, with, he plays with so much flair and he's got this confidence about him that nothing seems to put him down, you know. He can be a serious player in the future, man, this yeah. guy. But because how, how could you have... It's like... Sure, you can have quality at 18, mm. but quality with that confidence, it's almost arrogance. <laughs> He's almost arrogant the, the way he plays because how dare you think you could pull that shit off at 18 years old? How dare you think? But he's so confident in his abilities. Every time he gets the ball, he's so sure of what he's going to do. And that's what the youngsters lack. In today's day and age, it's not the actual technique or or the hard work or determination, but it's the confidence in their abilities. The fact that Yildiz walks in and says, "I am better than everyone here. I'm yeah. gonna dribble that guy. I'm gonna dribble that guy, and I'm gonna score." And he has absolutely no doubt about it. He's 18 years old, Jake, and he is one of the stars of Juve, and he is the star of the Turkish national team. This guy is gonna be absolutely absolutely fucking huge in the field. Yeah. By the time he's 21, this guy could already accomplish so much. It's true. It's true. Absolutely, man. And think about how much experience you would have gathered under his belt already at 21. Yeah. Um, of course, it's not just Yildiz Vlaovic has fucking sprung to life and apparently he's got a new girlfriend. Oh, yes. So that's um, that might be what's, what's changed his mood completely. I saw, I saw a comment on the YouTube video. Um, of the highlights, someone said that uh, that uh, he's such a moody guy. Of love, that's what he needs a woman to to make uh. him happy and stop him from being so moody. <laughs> like, bro, you're talking like you know him, you know. <laughs> but yeah, uh, nice to see him come back to life. Locatelli and McKenney are having a fa- having fantastic seasons. Um, Locatelli, this game was super, and he's been pretty good lately. Yeah, huh? Locatelli. Yes. Not remarkable, Locatelli. I still think that's a position that Juve should at least have someone competing for that starting role. Mm-hmm. And apparently they were going for Henderson, but he's close. He's closer to Ajax now. That's what that would have been a weird signing, in my opinion, Henderson. I, I have um, you. Like, you buy Henderson if you want to win the league. Yeah, that's yeah. it for this season. He's would, not bad, Henderson. He's not. He's, for he's playing not once the a week, you know. Yeah, it might be good. He's not the answer, though. No, no, no. you know. Um, it is quite a Juve signing though But mm. he, uh, I think the Englishman would rather live in Amsterdam Than, than he would Turin <laughs> Yeah, the weather is more similar to back home Yeah <laughs> Weah had a crazy miss in the 75th minute I don't know if you caught ah, that Ah, yes, it yes, yes It was wild, yes, yes. man He had so much time and he rushed it And he failed to hit the target mm-hmm. um, Big mistake over there yeah. by Weah Listen to the stat Okay So in 2024, Bayern Munich have scored four goals Liverpool, 8 goals. Barcelona, 8 goals. City, 8 goals. PSG, 13 goals. Real Madrid, 13 goals. And Juventus, 15 goals. Whoa. Yeah, Coppa Italia, right? <laughs> <laughs> Look at them. 
Yeah. Yeah, the, I mean. In good company uh, there. Yeah, literally, I mean, they put six pasts there in Atana. They put four past Frozenone. And they put three past Sassuolo. Yeah. And yes, now they're no longer doing that whole one nil thing, which is which is nice to see because that was quite that was something I would criticize Allegri. It's the one nil, the Corto Muso is a very good approach, um, especially when taking on um, superior opponents. But if you're playing against these teams, that you're you're just better than them on paper. You're better than them in the one on ones. You're a better drilled team with more financial power. You can blow them out of the water. Absolutely. And, and there and were certain Juve, situations, sorry, when when the smaller team equalized against you, when they get a goal back just like that, yeah, you know, yeah, just yeah. push and get go to I mean, up. They they have got very offensive players as well. You were, I mean, Vlaovic, Chiesa, Yildiz in midfield. They've got Rabiot, who's a very very offensive player nowadays. They Killing want as close to the goal as possible. Um, Kostic is a very attacking winger. Um, Ealing Jr. on the bench, way as a very attacking winger. Some might even call him a striker. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, they, they literally have the players to be a super attacking team. And I see this Juve team um, as, as a very, very pressing offensive side in the future. In 2024, sorry, next season rather, um, let's say they've got Sule back. Got Sule. Yildiz, Chiesa, Vlaovic, Miretti, the Fagioli back by then. Uh-huh. Um, and that is just a team that you, you make them press and, and you make them not get the fuck off you. You bring in a modern manager and they can be unstoppable, man. And not to mention in Champions League qualification, they, they will have the pull power because Juventus is an attractive brand for many players. Absolutely. They're, they're the biggest draw in Italy and, and, and they have been for as long as football has been around in Italy, I guess. Yeah, um, they are currently in second with 49 points, while their opponents in Sassuolo are in 14th with 19 points. Fiorentina 2, Udinese 2. We won our bet with this one, bro. We actually made some good money this this week from betting. Um, I think we, we, we put 10 euro on Fiorentina and Udinese to draw and then Milan to beat Roma and we returned 87. Yeah, that was a, a pretty good bet, to be honest. I was quite confident going in. Yeah. Um, the Viola are still in fourth place despite coming off a 1-0 loss to Sassuolo, probably thanks to Bologna, um, Bologna's bad run of form. Shitting the bed is, is a good term. Yeah, because of Bologna <laughs> shitting the bed. Uh, they also reached the Coppa Italia semi-final, the Conference League last 16, and they are preparing for this week's Super Coppa Italia and a final for uh, away to Napoli. Udinese, on the other hand, just simply coming off a 2-1 home loss to Lazio. The previous encounter was Udinese nil Fiorentina 2 away from home. Now, despite the defeat to Sassuolo, Fiorentina have recorded their second best first half of the season in Serie A in the last 10 seasons with 33 points. Indeed, only in 2015-16 under Paolo Sousa did they earn more, where at this stage they had 38 points. Nico Gonzalez, Castrovilli and Dodo were injured with Christian Kwame at the African Cup of Nations. The visitors, on the other hand, missed Yaka Bijol, Enzo Ebosse, Gerard Delafeo, Brenner and Semedo and also Simone Pafundi. Still out, quite a, a lengthy one for the young Italian over Poor there. Poor guy, he's only 17. Right, man. Um, 
for Fiorentina it was their 4-2-3-1 formation with Terracciano on goal and the backline of Biragi, Ranieri, Martinez Quarta and Coyote. Um, they had Duncan and Mandragora as the double pivot with Breakal out on the left, Econi out on the right and Bonaventura playing behind Beltran. Whilst the visitors in Udinese had a 3-5-1-1 formation with Okoye once again getting the nod over Silvestri and the backline of Ferreira, Perez and Christensen, Ebosele on the right, Kamara on the left, Lovrich, Wallace and Samardzic in the middle with Pereira playing behind Luka. Now, in the 10th minute, Udinese opened the scoring. It was Lovrich um, for the away side being unleashed by Luka on a swift counter-attack. He did well to avoid Ranieri and slot into the bottom corner from an angle. Great finish. It's great how he held on to the ball, waited for Ranieri to commit before taking the strike and great hold-up play by Luka as well. In the 28th minute, Terracciano did very well to deny Pereira, who should have definitely passed the ball um, into the central area, but did not. The goalkeeper pulled off another great couple of saves in the 36th from a Samardzic free kick and from the resulting corner where Samardzic went for a goal. Um, Udinese were really attacking with promise over here and they were all over Fiorentina. Mm. Now, when Fiorentina did manage to get into scoring positions, they were underdone by a shocking Jonathan Icone miss from 10 yards out. Now, at halftime, Fiorentina made two changes. They brought on new boy Faraoni for Coyote and Arthur for Duncan, clearly trying to get more offensive. In the 55th minute, they found their first equaliser of the match. Um, Faraoni, the debutant, played a brilliant cross to the unmarked Beltran who headed in to the bottom corner. Brilliant ball by Faraoni and a great header by Beltran. In the 63rd minute, Tovan's free kick almost crept in as Terracciano fumbled the ball onto the post before regathering it. And in the 72nd minute, Udinese regained the lead as Lovrich did well to dribble past Brecolo and Biragi before delivering a low cross to Tovan, who slotted into the bottom corner well. The scorer turned provider. In the 86th minute, Inzola equalized from the spot after VAR called for a check following a blatant handball by Ferreira in the box. I have no idea why the referee had to go check VAR. Because if he just spoke to his homies, he's like, yo, what do you guys see from up mm-hmm. there? Like, we saw the fucking centre-back's hand up in the air and the ball hit it. So, like, all right. But the Better Atalanta check game. this one out. The Atalanta game, none of that, huh? No, the... The Atalanta Milan, game had Atalanta. very questionable calls. Milan Atalanta yeah. and in in the Coppa. Sorry to bring that up. Sorry to be that guy. You fucking and I ruined your. You job. ruined my vibe. <laughs> you ruined my vibe. Um, in the ninety first, Bonaventura almost sealed Fiorentina's comeback with a winning goal, only to hit the post with a half volley from just outside the area. Um, my first talking point which I want to talk about, is um, about Udinese. They have increased their flair significantly, and I feel that is due to the fact that they are attacking in numbers. Mm. Um, And they also, I I think they found their ideal starting eleven. It is Luca as a sole striker with Pereira just behind him, Pereira getting way closer to goal. And what this allows them to do is, firstly, they were having significant problems with linking the defence and midfield to the attack. Because, obviously, there was the isolation nation. <laughs> um, so Pereira fitting in there does a really good job. I know he's a workhorse, so he's constantly oh, yeah. carrying the ball oh, yeah. forward to Luka. But then when they have the ball, Pereira's really joining the attack with Luka. And then you have Sandy Lovrich and Samardzic, who 
if they both join the attack along with either Ebosele or Kamara, depending on what side they're attacking from, just simply those two players advancing, and Udinese have got one, two, three, four, five players in an attacking area. Yeah, yeah, they overwhelm. They overwhelm yeah. their opponent. Udinese have many technically gifted players. Mm-hmm. Um, the likes of Samardzic, Pereira, of course, even Luka, you know, we, we've hailed his hold up play. Definitely. He's been great. One of the best things that's happened to Udinese is Isaac's success, his injury, because mm-hmm. they're no longer, I know it sounds harsh, and I'm sorry, Isaac, if you're listening. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, they have moved away from this pressing striker approach and are finally playing with a target man who is very capable of holding the ball up and flicking the ball on to his teammates and also getting a few goals for himself as well. He's on six goals and two assists so far this season. The numbers keep increasing. Um, And I believe he's only had 13 starts, 20 appearances Mm. in total. Um, Yeah, I I like the way Udinese have been setting up lately. They're a nightmare of a team to face. They will... I'm sure the day after playing Udinese, you'll be so sore because they're such a physical team. Yeah. Um, success did come on for Luka in the 58th when obviously he's, he's fitter now he's still getting back into it though and I do feel like he did quite well coming on particularly in Tuvan's goal where Lovrich played the ball through he did well to outmuscle a defender off the ball creating more space for Tuvan to take his strike so not to take anything away yeah, he's from a, him he's a totally he's a total utility player as exactly. success. he will press he will do a lot of work off the ball but Luka just has so much more to give, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. And and even because there are those technical players like Samardzic, Lovric and Pereira behind him, you need a striker that can play them the ball with his back towards goal. Yeah. Um, and that's that's exactly what Luka does. Um, Home of the left-footed baller. Huh? Yeah, so uh, Udinese are going to struggle so much without Samardzic because even from dead ball scenarios... The way he whoops those bad boys. And he was going for a goal from yeah, corners, yeah, bro. Yeah, yeah. He forced a brilliant save out of Terracciano from the corner and from the free kick. Like, the guy is absolutely no joke. I am excited to see him at Napoli, though. Yeah, imagine they're going to have him and Ngonge. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. I do believe that where Udinese won this game was in the midfield battle. Lovrich, Wallace and Samardzic made life hell for Duncan and Van Dragora in the double pivot. Uh, so much so that Bonaventura was joining the defensive midfield more and more to try combat them. Um, but Udinese's midfield, they, they do have fantastic balance over there. Mm-hmm. Lovrich, Wallace and Samardzic and Pereira again. Because he's in that free role, he slots into that midfield when Udinese are off the ball, and suddenly they've got fucking a, a four-man midfield. Like so, this Udinese side is is set up to be a fucking nightmare to play against, and they get another draw over here. They are experts of that. But let's move on to Fiorentina a little bit. Um, Faroni made his debut, mm. and he got a, a brilliant assist for that. How do you see Fiorentina's future with Faraoni in the team, especially when 19-year-old Coyote has had such a breakthrough this season? I think it's healthy competition, personally. Uh, Faraoni nowadays is 32 years old. Mm-hmm. So if, if you're playing in three competitions, you need capable fullbacks. And I yeah. think that it's a, it's a good problem to have for them. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I see potentially Faraoni becoming a starter this season, potentially. Mm-hmm. Um, it will be very difficult though because Coyote is an incredible talent and the last thing they'd want to do is upset him and if he's yeah. playing well then you, you should play him and, and Coyote is very tidy defensively he's, he's mm-hmm. a right back he's, he's by no ways a, a right wing back and I feel like Faroni is a right wing back so 
when Fiorentina need a result and, and they maybe want to play the approach game a bit more pragmatically, which is something Italiano really has been doing this season, then Coyote could be the name. And then if, if they want to be a bit more offensive, especially if Biragi isn't on the pitch and Parisi is on the pitch, for example, then they can afford to naturally uh, play Faroni on the other side so they could use the right-hand side as an attacking outlet. I do think having Biragi and Faraoni both on together could could allow them to be caught a little bit on the break every now and then. Yeah. And let's not forget to address as well Faraoni's leadership. He was a real hero at Verona. He played a massive part in that playoff game despite not really featuring in the second half of the season that year. Mm-hmm. Um, he's uh, one of the reasons that Verona are still up. Because yeah, he, he, he saved the ball. the ball off the line with his hand. <laughs> and then in Zola misses the penalty. Yeah. And Zola scored the penalty this game and the referee oh, uh, the, fuck. The, the commentator. They're they're teammates now. Of course. In Zola and Farah. Can, can you imagine crazy. how awkward that Oh was. my guy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean all roads lead to Florence though, am I right? Look at them both battling in a relegation play out and now they're starting at Fiorentina together well not starting both of them, both of them came on yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but they're both coming on for Fiorentina now yeah they've made it big two protagonists in that game and they've made their way out of those teams absolutely and Zola is the best one he sank Spezia and hopped off the boat <laughs> enjoyed Fiorentina yeah. like uh, he had been destined for a big move for a while though Fiorentina still find themselves in fourth place with a Bit of luck, naturally. Um, Atalanta and Lazio just a point behind them. Look at Lazio, how they've crept up, man. Um, mm. Atalanta and Lazio on fifth and sixth, just one point behind Fiorentina, and then Bologna just two points behind them. Um, whilst Udinese are in sixteenth place on eighteen points, level on points with seventeenth place Cagliari. Lazio really have crept up. In fact, they got another win for mm-hmm. them. Um, against Lecce, 1-0. If you go back to match day one, you remember the previous encounter. Um, it was a 2-1 victory for Lecce. This was back when Lecce were like in top four. Remember that? The start yeah. of the season. Yeah, yeah. Armgvista. Yeah. Def- the, the episode name title, uh, Lecce are fourth. Lecce are fourth. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> Armgvista, Di Francesco and the Mobile had scored that game. Yeah, yeah. There you go. This time it was a 1-0 victory courtesy of Felipe Anderson. The lineup was a 4-3-3 for Lazio, business as usual with Provedel in goal, Marisic on the right, Pellegrini on the left with Gila and Patrick at the back, Guendouzi, Rovella and Luis Alberto on the middle, the return of the king in Luis Alberto. Yep. Isaacson started out on the right, Zakani on the left, and Felipe Anderson actually started as a false nine due to um, Castellanos being unavailable. And Immobile, I don't think, is in the best condition at the moment. No, no. It was a 4-3-3 for Lecce, who literally mirrored their formation. Granted, they always play a 4-3-3, or they usually play a 4-3-3, rather. Falcone was in goal. Um, Jean-Dre out on the right, Gallo on the left, Baschirotto and Pongracic as a centre-back partnership with Juan Gonzalez, Ramadani and Caba in midfield with Udon out on the right, Angvis on the left and Kristovic up front. This was the fourth consecutive victory in a row for Lazio. They're eyeing that Champions League spot. And they obviously had to work harder than they expected to, to conquer Lecce. Because Lecce, of course, will always give you a game. The match kicked off um, and Lecce came out swinging. They tested Provedel early on and Falcone um, had to make some crucial saves on the other end as well. So it was quite action-packed from the get-go. 
Um, there were a few heated moments in the first half. Patrick was subbed off due to a shoulder injury and there was a bit of a scuffle between Zakani and Jean-Dre, um, earning both a yellow card. Pongracic, Kaba and Isaacson got close to scoring and Kristovic had a mech attempt on target. <laughs> the deadlock continued um, into the second half. Sarri threw on Pedro for Isaacson to inject a new dynamic. I guess he wanted someone to cut inside more than to just um, charge forward. Yeah. Zakani came close to breaking the silence with a shot um, that grazed the crossbar and then in the 75th minute, Philip Anderson broke the deadlock. Um, he found the net with a right-footed shot over Falcone and Lazio finally broke through. Um, eventually, yes, um, Lazio just held out for the remainder of the game. Kristovic missed another good opportunity. Kaba couldn't find the target on another one. Immobile made a grand entrance in the 79th minute, earning cheers from the Olimpico. Vecino had a near miss. Falcone made some crucial saves and tensions flared as Immobile clashed with Falcone, earning himself a yellow card. Um, yeah, bro... Another victory for Lazio. They are climbing that uh-huh. table. They're, they're climbing without looking incredibly convincing. Because if you look at their last four victories, talking about uh, Serie A, naturally, yes, they've beaten the likes of Empoli, Frosinone, Udinese, and Lecce in their last four games. However, it always looks like they need to turn up a gear midway through their performance in order to be able to win these games. The, it, they're not easy or seamless victories it's always a bit of a battle no it's always a chess match that's what it seems to be eh? more than anything else Mm. um yeah i think the thing about sarri is that you know what you're gonna come up against so teams do set up to actually disrupt them Mm -hmm. in this situation you had a man for man 4-3-3 and these lecture players once again aren't the the weakest and in theory they're actually stronger than these um, Lazio players. Like you look at the likes of, you know, Zaccani and Isaacson and Luis Alberto, Rovella, Pellegrini, Morris. They're not the strongest guys in the world. You know, they can get shoved over. So it was quite difficult for them to to actually get this this victory. However, there was a brilliant moment in that goal, man. Um, Luis Alberto's flick on to to Felipe Anderson was was mental. Yeah, very good. Um, They're playing very well. And also, bro... Guendouzi is so complete for the Sarri team. He can do everything. Very. I'm just looking at Lazio's upcoming fixtures, and they also have a very tough run in. Mm -hmm. So because they they have, they've had it quite easy to be honest so far. As in, they've had a good spell. uh Aha. I mean, not easy because an away victory against Udinese, for example, is great. You know what I mean? Um, But but still, you know, they faced Empoli, they faced Frosinone, they faced Lecce. I think their hardest run-ins were Atletico and Inter in the last 10. And those were the ones they didn't win. They have... um, Yeah, exactly, exactly. But they have now Inter away, Napoli home, Atalanta away, and then Cagliari away, and then Bayern Munich. and And then home to Bologna, then away to Torino. And then away to Fiorentina, then home to Milan, and then away to Bayern Munich. It's a good thing morale is high at the moment for them because that's a tough run-in. Very tough run-in. Very tough run-in. We're talking six difficult games over yeah. there. Even Cagliari away of isn't course. easy. And that, that, that's supposed to be their breather. Cagliari who are striving for survival. And block 4-4-2. Yeah. Luvumbo coming on in the 65th <laughs> minute. Well, he'll still be at AFCON probably. Uh, no, actually, it's, it's, it's quite sure far down the line. That, huh? It's true. And so they, like, they Angola are going to make it very far. 10th of February. He might be back by then. Mm. He might be back. 
One player we haven't really highlighted, by the way, um, on the spot is Mohamed Kaba okay. of, of Lecce. Mm-hmm. Um, I like what I see from him. Um, he's not the the tidiest. He's not always the tidiest, rather. But he, he's quite industrious and quite a lot of their play goes through him. And he, he has impressed me, to be honest with you. Let me just pull up some information on him right now. Um, he is 22 years old. He's French, um, and he's right-footed, standing at 185 centimeters tall. He's a, a pretty good player. Keep an eye out on him, guys. He's he's pretty good. Yeah, the Frenchman is a bit more of a, an industrious player, perhaps, mm-hmm. in that midfield. He gets a lot of dirty work done for his side. Actually, before this, he's only ever played in Ligue 2. Ligue 2? Ligue 2. Wow. Oh, the French league just produces great talent. It does. It does. He, he's only played for Valenciennes before this. Valenciennes B and, and Valenciennes. Um, and Lecce bought him for 3 million in August of 2023. So last summer. Good business. Yeah. Decent business. Decent business. Yeah. He's and, quite a good player. And this is Antonino Gallo season. I don't know if you heard. Because he's been super this year. Yeah, Gallo has been. Uh, good. Last year he was the... The one that we weren't too sure about in that back four. Mm. This year, he's taken it up a level. Huh? And he's got competition this year in that in that position because there is the the Swedish player. Um, uh, yes, uh, Matthias would kill me if if, if he was hearing this. <laughs> uh, Dorgu. Dorgu, yes, Dorgu. Patrick Dorgu. Yes, just nineteen years old, and and when we've seen him, he's looked he's looked Explosive, clean. Explosive, bro. Yeah, he well. he's not Swedish. He's 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 Danish. My apologies. Man, Matthias is gonna kill you. Yeah, Matthias is gonna murder me. <laughs> hey, Matthias. Hey, bro. Hey. So yes, Lecture after this, bro, are in thirteenth place with twenty-one points, while Lazio are up in sixth with thirty-three points. Let's see how they handle their tough run in coming up. Yeah, I, I got I got both of the the games where there were five goals plus. So now it's Atalanta five, Frozenone nil. Couple goal descriptions. <laughs> um, Atalanta coming off a one-one away draw to Roma and a two-one away win against Milan in the Coppa to progress to the semi-finals. Uh, Frozenone coming off a three-two home loss to Monza and a midweek four-nil loss to Juve to crash out of the Coppa. The previous encounter, however, was a Frosinone victory, 2-1 against Atalanta. Now, Frosinone are one of the three Serie A teams yet to win a game away from home this season. They are alongside Cagliari and Lecce in that regard. It was a 3-4-2-1 for Atalanta with Karnesecki in goal and the backline of Kolasinac, Jim City and Scalvini. Ruggeri as the left wing-back and home as the right wing-back with a double pivot of Deron and Edison. The Catalare and Cope Miners play just behind Scamacca. A 4-1-4-1 for Frosinone. Turati in goal, Lirola, Ocoli, Bonifazi and Luzwardi as the defenders. Berinchea as the defensive midfielder with a midfield of Sule, Mazzitelli, Brescianini and Harui with Kedira up front. I was rather surprised not to see Kedira called up for Morocco in the African Cup of Nations. Even though he didn't have stellar performances for them in the past, I do think that um, competing in Serie A would be enough to get him a call up. Apparently not. Um, and to be honest, he hasn't been great. I think he's quite a wasteful striker. Yeah. Um, he definitely can improve and has a lot to improve. Um, he's 25 years old and he's no longer... A young talent. But he, he also, you know, he, he faces some of the toughest defenders in, in uh-huh, the league. That's, he's that's got, a good point. He's got that. And I mean, it's not like they're 
calling up stars and <laughs> instead <laughs> of him who the hell is Buffal Kharit Tsudali El Kabi Amine Adli Yeah to be fair I don't know much about these guys they might They could be good who the hell knows But it is just weird because Kadir has been quite regular in that squad and he was even there at the World Cup. Yeah, yeah. So I found it a bit odd, but anyway. Um, like we said, Atalanta won this game 5-0. Cope Miners scored the opening goal from the penalty spot by sending Turati the wrong way after Luzuardi clumsily brought down home in the area. Uh, in the 12th minute, Edison got the second goal for Atalanta after a good hold-up play by CDK. Ruggeri's cross exposed that big gap in frozen on his box, which Edison took advantage of and scored. It was Bonifazi who ran away from the ball when it was being crossed in, who created that initial gap, and Edison, with the form he's on, took advantage of that. Just one minute later, um, CDK literally got his sperm, Um, Daron played the Belgian through who smashed the ball in off the crossbar and roared to the crowd <laughs> did you say that CDK got his sperm he literally watch that goal watch that goal and, and, and tell me if CDK got his sperm or not yeah he, he definitely became a man let's just say that he, yeah. he roared yeah, we man. haven't seen him roar since the video when he's like <laughs> that, that, that's one. that one no 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 he uh-huh. he, he, got, he got his sperm in this game Um, Frosinone came out attacking in the second half and forced Karnasekki to pull off some uncomfortable saves um, mm. but Atalanta were happy to hold off with a 3-0 lead however then in the 83rd minute when they when they brought on their substitutes obviously they all wanted to get on the score sheet and um, Pasalic found Zappa Costa in the corner of the area and Zappa Costa curled his strike into the far bottom corner very very well bless you Uh, rolling back the years, there's Zappa Costa, that was uh, his, his trademark before. And in the 90th minute, Home got his first goal for Atalanta, tapping in after the ball fell to him off the crossbar. And I have to say, well-deserved goal by I Holm. like what I've seen uh, this week by Home. He, firstly, he was the probably the best player on the pitch against Milan yeah. in the Coppa Italia. He had a spectacular performance. He's solid, man. He's very, very solid. His size, his speed, his intelligence, his tackling. His tackling is second to none, man. Yeah, yeah. against Milan, I would say he was the second best player for them. Scoop Miners was incredible. Yeah. Um, but he has been so good, bro. And, and as you mentioned, he's so involved. 191 centimeters tall. He's massive for a, for a wing back. And he's solid defensively. And he showed us as well that he can get forward quite Dangerously to winning a penalty and then scoring, right? There you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Emil Horn, remember the name? Swedish, yeah. 23 years old, giant. If you've heard his name before, it's probably because he was with Spezia yes. um, last season. So yeah, that's where that's where you know him from. Um, I want to highlight. Um, who the fuck do you think you're talking to? Um, <laughs> I want to highlight Edison. Um, I I forget that Edison is so young. I mean, just 24 years of age. I know that's not spectacularly young, but for the way that he plays, he's very mature. Like, he gets forward and gets goals, but he never um, abandons his defensive duties, and he's quite a rock in and that he wasn't, midfield. he wasn't always like this. We saw him at Salernitana, and he was more of an offensive kind of player. Yeah. Um, obviously, Gasperini did Gasperini things, and he molded him into the ideal player for his system. Where now he's just so good defensively, and he's also 
a menace going forward, right? He has good a good eye for goal as well. Yeah, yeah, and I mean we see that because this isn't the first time he's he's scored or or got an assist this season. Um, I also want to highlight obviously CDK, um, because in th- this was the first match where he was really feeling it, where mm-hmm. he looked confident. Um, before you know he he would think about a pass, he'd give the pass and it'd be a good pass. This time he was really like in the moment and everything he was touching, he was pulling off. Um, which goes to show, finally, he has found his feet and and he's found confidence in this team. Um, and it's really, really good to see because this setup of Cope Minish and Decay Talare just behind Skamaka was really, really good in this game. It really was. And the CDK does, um, well, he has mentioned that Gasperini plays him in his favourite position, kind of. Mm. Maybe that's a bit of a hint at purely for not playing him in his favourite position. Um, He's a mentally fragile... I'm not even sure if it's fair to call him mentally fragile or or if he's just 22. He's he's new. He's He's new new to the league. He's in a foreign country. He's 22 years old, young guy. You know, he arrived at 21. Um, he's he's really developing nicely. I just wonder how streaky he can be throughout his whole career. Like, is this just a matter of building up your confidence for your career? Mm. You know what I mean? Mm. Or is it that kind of a thing that you're going to gain your confidence then it's not going to go and you're going to lose it and you're going to have three terrible months and then you're going to get going again? Then Is he going to become Philip Anderson is my it, question. It. It could, I, I doubt it. It could be the case of, we don't know. We've only got a year and a half as a case study yeah, yeah. of what he's truly <laughs> capable of, at least in Italy. But what we're seeing is, like you said, 21-year-old kid mm-hmm. being signed for the Serie A champions for 40 million euros, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, something um, like that. High 30s for sure. Went into the Milan team where he got a few opportunities, but typically coming off the bench, and he didn't find his feet yet. You see great players moving to a different country and not finding their feet in the first season and then finding their feet two seasons in or a season and a half in. Now, Milan loaned him out immediately, and it's not like he was... You could tell when he played for Milan that he was a good player Uh uh because he's clean He's clean. He's got that, he doesn't that have many of, errors mm, in him. Yeah. He doesn't have many errors in him. It's just he leaves a lot to be desired on the ball. And in fact, he's deserved a couple goals for Milan. He's yes, deserved yes, some he assists so for, for and Milan. And he had a goal wrongfully called off. I wonder how that would have helped yeah. him with his confidence. Yeah, yeah. When, when I watched him live, when he came on, I enjoyed watching him. He's technically gifted. He's technically gifted. Now... In his second season in Italy, look look at his numbers. Look at his numbers. It he, you, you just need some time to adapt. You need some time to adapt as anyone who's getting used to the league, especially the Italian league. But for someone that before that was playing in the Belgian league for mm-hmm. Club Bruges, he needs some more time. And this mm-hmm. was a good move for him, man. And he's, he's Atalanta likes to rotate, but Charles is a starter for them. The problem is that they've got an option. Yeah. So, you know, I, I'm not even sure if Atalanta would exercise the option themselves for 20-something million. I think they might be thinking we could reinvest our money somewhere else and strengthen for sure. Because it's still a mystery with the Lara, man. We've seen him at his lowest and it wasn't pretty at all. Mm. We've seen him at, uh, at his best and he looks fucking solid, you know. Is it worth the risk for Atalanta? I don't think that's the way they operate. 
I'm not sure. I think they saw an option over here to bring him in on loan. Low risk. No risk. No no risk at all and potentially a reward, you know. Um, I think it will very much depend on how he keeps going till the end of the season. If he remains consistent, I say they'll buy him. If mm-hmm. he's If he remains to be a bit... Streaky doesn't get the numbers up a little bit. I think Atalanta wouldn't hesitate to just send them back to Milan. Uh-huh. Me, Atal- Atalanta love to shaft Milan. Yeah, and 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 I don't even think that's the way that Atalanta as a club would look at it. Because the way Atalanta look at things is is how can we flip players? Yeah. So it's not about what is he bringing to the team, but if we bring him in for twenty million, how much can we sell him for? It, are we going to sell him for 40 million? Are we going to make a 20 mil markup on him? Are we going to be capable of making a 10 mil markup on him? So that, that's the way the owners are, are mm, going to be looking yes, at it. True. I think Asprini would be happy to utilize him. He'd yeah, be clearly, happy to keep clearly, him. Clearly. Uh, obviously, I don't know what budget they have. I know through the investors and, and new owners, Atalanta's budget isn't disastrous. So they mm. probably can afford to do it. They're a healthy club. Yeah, they're, they're a healthy club. It's because they, they, they're they great at business, eh? Mm-hmm. But uh-huh, that that's just some, some praise for CDK and a big question mark on what's going to happen to him at the end of the season. It would be exciting to get him back at Milan since he's found his feet, though. It would be cool to see. Um, home, we have uh, addressed winning the penalty, dominating against Milan, getting his first goal. Gasparini had a little dance at the end of the game. He yeah. hadn't danced <laughs> since we were fucking killing him. In San Siro, yelling at him after Milan beat them 2 0, going, Palla, mister! I feel like he hadn't danced after yeah. that. <laughs> he, after looked, he was embarrassed he by the fact He looked directly at you, bro. Yeah. He looked directly at you. He definitely heard that. I was telling you, I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell him to dance. If, we, <laughs> if, if Milan beat him, I'm, I'm going to mock him. And I did, because uh-huh, he's. Gasprin is a very For annoying those of you character. I don't know, he danced after Atalanta beat Milan 5 0. Yeah. Wasn't dancing anymore. Now, now he. It's like every time they beat someone five 0 he dances. Uh-huh. Uh, enjoy winning five 0 against Frosinone. No, no, good win for them. Frosinone, terrible losing streak. They haven't won in Serie A since November. Um, gathering one point in seven matches. Their away form is among the worst in the league. They have zero experience um, in their team, and they by far have the worst defense. In the league, they are incredibly leaky, they are incredibly clumsy. All they know how to do is move the ball forward and to attack in numbers. Mm-hmm. But they're constantly caught off. Um, to me, this is a side that, yeah, they, they, they excited us in, in the beginning, but they're getting relegated. <laughs> they're, they're getting relegated. <laughs> they've been, they've, they seem to have been figured out. Um, they've been free falling for a while now. They're on 19 points. Like Verona and 18th are on 17 points. They're there, man. And if you look at the history on teams that have been relegated, these newly promoted sides that focus on loaning in young talent mm-hmm. without having the experienced players to kind of guide them. These are teams that fall. I always mention it. Uh, people who listen regularly will be sick of me. Um, Venezia, man. Yeah. Venezia when they came up young talent very exciting looked good at times but they just didn't have that experience and that fucking knowledge on how to close out a game that street wisdom they didn't have that no. and then they fell back down and I feel like that might happen with Frosinone if I had to bet money on who would definitely be relegated I think it would be Frosinone man. I think they should look at bringing in another coach if they want to solidify themselves defensively because if they bring in 
one, two good fucking um, players with experience in Serie A and they fix themselves defensively and they keep that because they've got talented players to get them goals. If they strike that balance, they'll have no problems. But if they keep going the way that they're going now, then they're easy candidates for relegation. Um, but yeah, that that's enough from my end regarding this match. Atalanta are in 5th on 33 points, whilst Frosinone are in 15th on 19 points, just 2 ahead of 18th placed Verona. Napoli 2, Salernitana 1, a southern derby, bro. Um, mm-hmm. And a tight, tight affair. The I pre- believe they called it Derby di Campania. Derby di Campania, there we go, because of the region. Yes. Um, the previous encounter was a 2-0 victory for Napoli. This was under Rudy Garcia. Elmas scored, he's currently at Leipzig. And Raspadori had scored that game as well. This time it was Pierluigi Gollini starting in goal in Napoli's 4-3-3 formation with Di Lorenzo Rahmani, Juan Jesus and Mario Rui at the back. Cayuste, Lobotka and Gaetano were in the midfield with Politano out on the right, Gvaratskelia on the left and Giovanni Simeone getting the nod up front. For Salernitana it was Ochoa at the back in their 3-4-3 formation with Fazio Lovato and Gyomber at the back, Sambian Brotheric out on the flanks with Legovski and Martek Gianni in the middle. Kandrev out on the left wing, Chauna on the right wing and Simeon Wankwo up front. Now the early game was a bit predictable with Napoli trying to create opportunities through slow and predictable possessional play. Um, Salernitana defended attentively and looked for counter-attacks the way they've been playing to be honest since Inzaghi took over. Yeah. The match was low-key for about half an hour and Kandreva eventually ignited the derby with an incredible curling right-footed shot that found the back of the net, leaving Gollini um, with some questions. Do you think Gollini could have done better there? No. No, right? It was fucking no. crazy. What a goal, <laughs> the pullback, the curl, incredible goal. No goal chance. Goal, baby. Yeah. Yes, the Maradona fell into silence. It was beautiful. Um Yes, the, uh, Napoli struggled to find their rhythm. The only opportunity that they had was Simeone, who had a good opportunity, but was saved by Ochoa. Avar replay eventually showed that Fazio had clattered Simeone and Politano stepped up to take the penalty and scored. This was at the end of the first half, and they went into the second half, draw 1-1. Now, in the second half, um, it was the same thing for Napoli, predictable play they dominated possession but they couldn't really do anything there was no creativity they couldn't mm-hmm. penetrate that Salernitana block Simi kept pressing the back line leaving them no time to do anything um, and the defense stayed tight it was only in the 95th minute that um, Rahmani managed to turn in a goal eventually from a free kick um, there seemed to have been a foul it was the um, Demme on Chauna, yes, Demme swung his arm and hit Chauna on the face. It looks to be quite a clear foul, like mm. definitely warranted a VAR. Yeah, a definitely. VAR review. Um, of course, Salernitana players protest, but um, it did not go to VAR as Rahmani was shirtless, <laughs> running towards the Maradona faithful, ignoring all the calls. Yeah. Um, yeah. Gvaratskelia was, to be honest, vintage Gvara this game. It has yeah. to be said. Um, he was. Lively, he caused many problems. He dribbled his men. He found himself in one-on-one situations. At one point, Ochoa saved a shot with his foot. He just extended his leg and saved mm. it brilliantly one-on-one. Um, I, I didn't like Napoli this game. 
I think that it was the best case scenario for them, a last minute winner um, to give them motivation and to give them, uh, to, to fire them up a little bit, to charge them for the next game. Uh-huh. But once again, they looked clueless. Man. Look, the, the, the outcome is what they needed. Um, this, to me, is the best case scenario for Napoli in this game is struggling and then getting that goal in the 95th minute to really hype them up and instill this kind of passion and, and togetherness um in them because this now will will create momentum hopefully for napoli but they they no they look napoli look flat napoli mm-hmm. they don't look creative um you liked Gvara because he had many an opportunity because every time they got the ball they just look for Gvara because he's the magician he can make something happen who who else gaetano Cayuste. he just seems to be the only one trying man to be honest with you yeah it's like everyone else is so shot on confidence and it's like this guy doesn't let it affect him. You know, mm-hmm. because he's constantly trying to beat his man. Yeah, he's special, man. Gvara. Did we even talk about what happened between between Gvara and Ozymane's... No, between Gvara's agent and Ozymane. Oh, no. I don't even think no. we spoke about the, that. The angry tweet, no, oh, by Ozymane. Yes, in an interview, basically... Um, Ozy- we did post about it. We though. posted, yes, for sure. At, say, a Spotlight, Instagram, Twitter... YouTube, Facebook, Follow, TikTok. Rate five star. Um, basically, Kvaratskhelia's agent said that Ozyman, um is destined to move to Saudi and that Gvara would never do that because his ambitions are higher. Um, to which Ozyman basically called him out on social media um, and called him a dumb fuck. And that's the actual quote. He, he called him mm. a dumb I have, fuck. I have the full one here. Dear Mamuka Yugeli, you are a piece of filth and a disgrace. I'm embarrassed at your sense of reasoning, dumb fuck. Keep my name out of your mouth. I mean, I would perhaps take an element of offense to what he said because he's calling, he's he's going after Gvara's teammates saying, oh, that guy will end up in Saudi because he's not he's as ambitious as, as my boy. He's just money-hungry kind of thing. So I understand. <laughs> However, Osiman, there's such a thing as... Being the bigger man, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> just like proving him wrong, tweeting and going on Instagram stories and calling him a dumb fuck. It's just we've seen this emotional kind of outburst from yeah. from him before, no? The thing for sure, and the thing is that um, most most social media accounts are so vanilla. They're like run by the club. It's like another three points. Couldn't get it over the line, but proud of this group. You know, just uh, all those tweets and posts constantly. But with Aussie men, it's just fucking memes that I don't understand, to be yeah. honest with you. Um, and this is this raw content, you know, which I love. It's a great content. So unfiltered. He's my favorite influencer, Aussie yeah. men. <laughs> Same keeping up with Victor. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yes, Inzaghi was very pissed off at the end of the game, um, saying that Salernitana need to be protected and that Gatti had had a foul as well that wasn't even televised mm. um, against Salernitana and that um, now it was the case with Demme. It's true, that. actually. Yes, of, man. Of Gatti. Yeah, they they need to maybe protect these teams a little bit more because you know Salernitana deserved to get something out of these past few games and they've lost them all so terribly I just hope that they don't I hope they're not demoralized by it because they've I shown hope... nothing but impressive uh-huh. games I, I hope they don't let it affect them too much obviously it, it affects them in the most severe way possible mm-hmm. which is where they stand in the table which is still dead last yes. however bro their performances they, they, they should be they should be really proud of what they're doing and, and Pippo 
has done a good job at turning Southern Nitana's season into a slightly better one because yeah. they're getting close against these big teams, man. They got a good result against Milan. They, they they got close against Juve. Now they got close against Napoli. And sure, it could be demotivating that you're always falling short. But now remember, they'll have easier fixtures. And in these easier fixtures, they'll I do believe that Salernitana are better than Empoli. Yeah, yeah. I believe they they could beat Verona, especially Verona letting go of absolutely everyone. They could beat Frosinone. Hell, they they could beat Lecce and Sassuolo. They're a, they're a tough tough team, and now with their sporting director back, um, I think they they will do wonders in the market as well to solidify yeah. the, their team. Um, yes, bro, I, I was surprised at the way Cayusta approached the game. He should have been booked way before he actually got booked. He was booked in the 34th, but mm. he was very rough, man, and he's one game away from suspension. He got the yellow, he's missing the next game. Gvarat Scalia, one yellow card away from suspension, and the 99th minute with the game one, managed to get wound up and got the stupidest yellow card, and he, once again, he's missing the next game. So next Napoli game, we bet against them, bro, because yeah. they're missing very important players. Away to Lazio. Away to Lazio. There we go. Bet on Lazio. Um, before we move on to the next one, bro, I want to highlight what Patrick Kendrick said, the commentator. Mm. Hilarious. Caught me off guard. Like I love this commentator because of how monotone he is and how, how matter-of-fact he is about everything. He was like, so Di Lorenzo missed a header. Mm-hmm. And he was like, Di Lorenzo was hailed to be the Italian Cafu last year. This year, he's looking more like the Brazilian we saw at Inter a couple of years back, Jonathan. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant. This is the man, he's, he's, he's firstly really good commentator. The guy yeah. knows his shit. And sometimes he just hits you with this humor. His touch, he's got a good sense of humor, man. He does. He really does, man. I'd love to get him on. He would be a great guest. If you're him. listening, brother. <laughs> brother. Hit us Bro- up. Brother Patty. <laughs> My man Pat. As regarding per the standings. <laughs> so Napoli are currently in 8th. While Salernitana are in 20th. Of course Salernitana with 12 points. While Napoli have 31 points. Cagliari 2. Bologna 1. Bologna slip up once again. However another good result for Cagliari over here. Really staying out of that bottom 3 relegation zone they were coming off a 1-1 away draw to Lecce whereas Bologna were coming off a 1-1 home draw to Genoa and a midweek loss on penalties to Fiorentina in the Coppa Italia quarterfinals the previous encounter was a 2-1 victory the other way around where Bologna beat Cagliari two goals to one now this victory means that Cagliari have now won their last five home Serie A encounters against Bologna which is absolutely crazy this is the longest ongoing streak of home wins for the Sardinians against any side in the division I really wouldn't have thought that Cagliari would have gotten the better of Bologna in their past five home fixtures. Mm. Um, a 4-3-2-1 formation for Ranieri's men with Scuffet in goal and the backline of Augello, Dossena, Vietesca and Zappa. A midfield trio of Makumbu, Prati and Sulemana and Nandes and Viola playing behind Petania. Nandes really being pushed up in this game. A 4-2-3-1 for Bologna, Skorupski in goal, a backline of Posh, Lukumi, Califiori and Christiansen. A double pivot of Freuler and Abisher with Ferguson just ahead of them, Orsolini out on the right, Urbanski out on the left and Van Hoydonk up front naturally because Xerxes was suspended for this game. 
Now, in the 10th minute, Viola attempted a looping strike from 40 yards out, which landed on the roof of the net. I love him. I, I love him so much. Um, in the 23rd minute, Orsolini collected Posh's long ball on the byline inside the area and lifted the ball into the near corner from a tight angle. Augello protested as there was a coming together, but the referee said nothing doing. Great goal by Orsolini. He's back on the score sheet for them. Just moments later, though, in the 31st minute, Dossena unleashed Petania with a long through ball from the back, and the striker rounded the keeper and finished into an empty net. He totally outmuscled Calafiori, who stood no chance after Petania's turn of pace. Never in my life would have I expected to see a Petania goal of this nature. Firstly, he completely completely outmuscled Calafiori okay. who almost lost lost balance but then yeah. his turn of pace to get there before the keeper yeah yeah, yeah. and then around him and fucking finish off it looked like R9 there. come on literally <laughs> Brazilian like, Ronaldo as in like let's relax but, but, <laughs> but sure you know he looked fast um, if you thought Calafiori could have done better over there in the 68 minutes um, after a high clearance from a corner Vietesca did extremely well to control the ball when surrounded by two players and he delivered a dangerous low cross which wa- which did end up in the back of the net after bouncing off of Calafiori and obviously it did go down as an own goal. 2-1 victory for Cagliari. Obviously I do feel that Bologna felt the absence of the suspended Zergze and key players like Salem Akers and Ndoye, mm-hmm. uh, Dan Ndoye who, was, who were out due to injuries. However... Cagliari did well. That that was the the hand that they were dealt, and Cagliari did well to capitalize mm-hmm. um, on these vulnerabilities, especially like in 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 their set plays. Whenever they got a a set piece scenario, they were very dangerous from them. Cagliari, so they really did rise to the occasion and make the best of it. Absolutely, and Cagliari have quite a deep team. Funnily enough, they've got options. So Ranieri, known as the Tinker Man from his time in the UK when he won mm-hmm. it with Leicester. Um, he loves to play around with his systems. Mm-hmm. So it's a good thing that he has so many different types of players in his squad that he can actually tweak things up. And if he wants to play the Christmas tree formation, he can play it. If he wants to go for a 4-4-2, yeah. he goes for it. Three at the back, he goes for it. He's really got these guys playing well. But with Bologna, bro, it's what we said um, when Bologna entered the top four. We have to see how they cope without Zergzi. We have to see how good their squad is and how good their depth is mm-hmm. um, in reality their players their starting 11 is great but then the, the players on the bench are not as good in certain positions mm-hmm. so for example you know Sidney Van Huydink might be an exciting player mm-hmm. but he's no Xerxy you know he's, yeah. he's not going to give you that dynamic at all mm-hmm. um, Urbanski is only 19 years old you know Polish he's, he's not really going to no. Do what Salamakers or Indoyo or Solini have done. Yeah. Exactly. No, 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 to- totally. I mean, this was, I would say, a decimated squad, but no. they had a few players there which weren't ideal at all. Like Van Hoydonk and, and Urbanski are the ones that stand out to me. But but it was how they struggled to unlock Cagliari. That always impresses me about Cagliari. They are a very, very tough team to penetrate, um, especially when they switch up to that 5 3 2 formation. Oh, yeah. God help you. <laughs> God help you. Um, but they also impressed me moving forward. I feel like Petania is a good man for the job over there. Um, we always praise a, a striker who's good with his back towards goal. And behind him, he had Nandes and Viola. 
um, who are very capable of, of you know, working their way from, from outside the area. And shout out Matteo Prati, who's 20 years old and Italian, has been playing centre mid for Cagliari, playing most games mm. and he's been he's been pretty solid as well. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, okay, so Bologna are in seventh place now. They've fallen off quite a bit, but they are still just two points behind fourth spot uh, Fiorentina. Whilst Cagliari, 17th place on 18 points, still just one point ahead of Verona. So although they have uh, two wins, two draws and two losses in their last uh, six matches, which is better than the teams below them and some of the teams above them, Frosinone have five losses and one draw, for example, they're still in danger, obviously, as most of the teams are all the way up to teams like, you know, Genoa are on 22 points and they're in 12th. So from Verona, 17 points in 18th place, all the way up to Genoa in 12th on 22 points. The relegation battle starts from 12th. Let's let's not get it twisted. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. Very good point, bro. Speaking of relegation, we have Verona 2, Empoli 1, the previous encounter. So Hellas Verona beating Empoli 1-0 thanks to a Bonazzoli goal. For this game, it was a 4-2-3-1 formation for Hellas Verona. With Montepo in goal, Chechua out on the right, Josh Doig on the left, Maniani and Coppola as a centre-back partnership, with Serdar and Duda as a double pivot. Sterling Gange was on the right, potentially for the last time for Verona. Folorunsho was on the left, um, while Suslov was playing behind Milan Duric. Juric. Yeah. I don't know why I read his name as Duric. <laughs> Yeah, um, Juric is the cover art, and it was a very foggy game, by the way, so I also implemented the fog in the cover yes. art as well. Lord Just knows, not... in reality, what happened this game, because no one could actually see it. No, but it, it was um, foggy. Foggy as that, fuck. That's it, because initially yeah. I thought it was flares. I'm like, no. what the hell is this fixture like? Like, <laughs> why is it so fucking lit, crazy? Like, But, but no, it was simply foggy between yeah. Verona and Empoli, like... Caprile was in goal for Empoli in the 4-3-3 formation with Kakacha out on the left, Berezinski out on the right, Luperto and Valukovic at the back with Grassi, Malek and Fazzini in the middle. Jazzy started out as the right winger, Cambiaghi as the left winger and Steven Spendi as the striker. Fun fact about Steven Spendi, his father ran onto the pitch and punched an official in a Serie C game. Oh my yeah, god. His brother plays in Serie C. He is spending too much time with these criminals, huh? <laughs> 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 yeah, <laughs> that's brilliant. Bro. Thank you. So in the third minute, Hellas Verona had a corner, which can only mean one thing: be careful of Juric. All right. <laughs> yes. Everyone on Juric. Of course, um, Duda whipped in the ball. Juric barely left the ground, like and just headed it off the crossbar and into the back of the net, giving Hellas Verona the lead just the third minute. Spendi failed to capitalize on a Montepo error and fast forward to the 64th minute. Ingonj, fucking shaking off earlier sluggishness, decided to spice things up from the right. He cut inside and he unleashed a left-footed strike that took a little deflection and that turned it into an unstoppable force and it found its way into the back of the net. It almost came out like the ball was shut out from the fog, you know. It's like it was shut out of a cloud. Zurkowski scored the header upon his return from Spezia by yes. way, in Welcome the 64th back. minute. Um, but Empoli were so wasteful after that that they couldn't find the equaliser. Duda was sent off in the 85th minute for a second yellow, which he got while in possession of the ball, by the way. How? He like knocked the ball forward and then he, while attempting to play it, he took out his man. 
I'm going to the second yellow card. But yeah, the the tone of this game is Empoli were very wasteful. That's yeah. It. And in fact, this was Andrea Azzoli's last game in charge for them as he's been sacked for Davide Nicola, making it their third manager of the season as they started out the season with Zanetti. Um, not Inter Zanetti, but the Zanetti yeah. that was coaching um, Venezia. I mean, that's how Salernitana survived two seasons ago. You know what I yeah, mean? David Nicola was their third manager. Sometimes you do what you have to do, man. Yeah, exactly. Sometimes you just need to bring in a guy who's proven. Yeah. Right? Roma. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, um, Verona are actually getting results despite the fire sale that they have. And I wonder how they'll go about replacing these guys. Because, okay, Faroni has left in Gonj, is on his way out. Um, and that leaves, you know. Those are two wingers who are very, very useful for them. So we'll see how they how they manage to cope. But a good result for them over here. Massive six-pointer clash and they managed mm. to win it. You know? Yeah, very important win for them. Although, yeah, now in Gonj out, probably. Um, they, they Terracciano as well. Terracciano, you know, all these, all these wing left players. as well. They will... We, we will start seeing the effects of that. Because in Gonj is a, a player that has changed matches for them by himself. Yeah, yeah. Um, Verona are currently in 18th place with 17 points, while Empoli are below them in 19th with 13 points. Look at that gap all of a sudden. That's what a relegation six-pointer does, brother. It it moves one team to the right direction, and you totally fuck over the other team. The last game is Genoa nil, Torino nil. Genoa were coming off a 1-1 away draw to Bologna, while Torino were coming off a very impressive 3-0 victory over Napoli. Um, the previous encounter was a 1-0 victory for Torino at home. Genoa have won only one of their last 12 league matches against Torino, 1-0 at the Luigi Ferraris on the 18th of March 2022, thanks to Manolo Portanova's decisive goal. They've drawn two and lost nine of the 11 other matches in this period, including a defeat in the most recent meeting last September. Now, the hosts were unbeaten in four, including impressive draws with Inter, Juventus and Bologna, but lost Caleb Ecuban, Thorsby and Soldrado Dragosin to Tottenham this week, um, last week rather. Toro had European ambitions after beating Napoli 3-0, though Radonjic, Soppi and Schurz were still out of action. It was a 3-5-2 formation for Genoa with Martinez in goal, Vasquez, Bani and De Winter at the back with Martin, Malinowski, Badel, Messias and Sabelli in the midfield, Tretegui and Goodmanson up front. A 3-4-1-2 for Torino with Vanya and Gola, backline of Gigi, Bongiorno and Rodriguez, Bellanova, Ricci, Illich, Lazaro and Vlasic in midfield with Zapata and Sanabria up front. Now, obviously, this game uh, ended goalless, with both Genoa and Torino having their share of good opportunities, However, I do believe that it was Genoa that were the most threatening team, and had it not been for some heroics by Vanya, who managed to pull off six saves, some of which were really, really good saves, um, it could have been a different story for this game. But I also want to highlight what I'm tired of. If, if you want, you can do it, because I'm, I'm tired of highlighting this guy. Sure, brother. Alessandro Buongiorno, bro. Man. Now, when it comes to the top stats for defenders, he's in the top three for Ariel's one. He's third with 51. Only Bremer and Dragosin have more than him. Interceptions, he's number one with 42. Second is Bremer with 25. That's the gap. That's the cutoff point. I don't know. Tackles, he's first with 24. Second is Bremer, 21. 
Clearances, he's third. There's Dragosin first, 88, Bremer, 80, and Bongiorno, 71. By the way, goes to show what a crazy player Spurs got. Yeah, I don't yeah, know if you saw the video of Richarlison warming up with him, and he's really surprised by his strength. It's no. quite, quite interesting. No, not yet. Ball reco- balls recovered, he's in the top two. Pass, successful passes, he's top four. Goals and assists, he's the best one, three, alongside Tomori and Dragusin. And when it comes to errors, he's made zero statistical errors. He is a freak, Alessandro Bongiorno. He is a a super player, 24 years old, 191 centimeters tall, left-footed, centre-back and playing a three at the back and playing a two at the back. Super player. Yep, and and I think he looked tidy in a two at the back for Italy, for example, um, on his debut. So obviously take that with a pinch of salt. But but he looked he looked good. He looked comfortable. Um, now he's apparently he's in Milan, and and, and mm-hmm. his agents are talking to Milan. But t- this is a move for for um, the summer period. So I I don't think we should get into it too much. Yeah. But it would be an Milan have got themselves a starter and. A, a future fucking hero for the club in Bongiorno. He really is that talented. And, and I'd be interested to see if Berlusconi was still in in Milan, how, how quickly he'd snap him up. Yeah, that he'd probably give an arm and a leg for him. Yeah. No tattoos, Italian, you know? Exactly. I don't think he has tattoos. If it's, if it's the profile. I so, don't know. I'm so sure Torino have just spanked Napoli 3-0 and then they came against Genoa away from home and they, they didn't even take a shot on target. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but it was a, a quiet Torino. day for Martinez. Yeah. A very quiet day for Martinez. He's playing with the grass, you know? Yeah. Like you used to do at football training exactly. with Mosta. But it was gravel. Yeah. Um, Genoa are in 12th place on 22 points, whilst Torino are in 10th place on 28 points. That is it for this episode, guys. Don't forget to enter our giveaway. It is the last chance. We'll be revealing the winner tomorrow. And keep your eyes peeled because we will be launching the... We will be posting rather the Joseph Minala interview um, on Monday. Right, bro? Absolutely. On Monday. Monday. Yes, the 22nd. Yes. Thank you very much for listening, guys. We'll see you next week. Love you all.